Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects, and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, I got to be honest with you, I'm coming off a vacation stint. Uh, I haven't slept a lot. I went camping. Uh, I don't have like a ton of energy going into this podcast. But you seem to have a lot of energy, as always. You seem to have a lot more energy than me when we're doing our pre, pre-recording discussion. So I hope you're up to the task. I'm just going to need to feed off you. I'm just going to need to, you know, feed off you in the paint. You're going to have to do a lot of the dirty work today. Are All you right, up man. to that? I'm okay. going to feed you the ball, man. I'm okay. going to feed you that ball. I'm going to force it down. He's you're starting off hot. Get in the paint. You're going to okay. have to get leverage. Okay. Yeah. You might yeah. need a pump fake or two. We might yeah. need a pump fake or two, but it's okay. We're gonna get that ball in the basket, and we're gonna pound. We're gonna get it in there, man. Let's go, Chris. Let's go, Trevino. Come wow. on, man. We're not That's... in the desert anymore. We're not camping. We don't have to, you know, fight for our lives against uh, bobcats and coyotes and rattlesnakes. We're here. Let's get focused in. Let's get locked in, baby. Wow, that was that was. George, did you ever do like the the pregame hype for your high school football team or anything like that? That's what that felt like. That felt no, like I you. Wasn't... I wasn't really that guy. I don't know. Did we really have that guy? We had that guy in varsity ahead of us, a guy named Lamont Jones, who we called Sarge. And he mm. had that, he had a he had a voice like a drill sergeant, like a marine drill sergeant. Right. He like was he was a high school kid, but he. All right, everybody, we're going now. We were. And he had this just like this deep voice, and it sounded like a like a drill sergeant or something. Uh, but no, nah, I, I wasn't. Uh, I mean, I I got hype with everybody else fired up but no i wasn't like uh the guy giving game speeches or or what have you or anything like that did you have a nickname like sarge or anything my nickname uh no i didn't i mean g mart has kind of been a nickname i had a nickname sure. in flag football that was hurricane. oh yeah hurricane. Going all the way back down to flag football that was the only time like i had like a nickname that actually went on a trophy <laughs> it said hurricane so yeah well what's the story with hurricane Oh, I just I I played brush end and I had a nice spin move and wow I'm gonna yeah, start was... calling you Hurricane I'm gonna be honest with you <laughs> uh, I, I might call you Hurricane this entire podcast so see if I can keep up the bit but I'm okay, gonna well, try I'm gonna try that that's a that's a iconic nickname and you should honestly put it back in your Twitter profile but obviously what, what were we gonna say I was just saying my Twitter profile I rolled my eyes there you could actually hear it physically. <laughs> 
roll my is that, eyes. Is that what the sound was? I thought yeah. I heard something. That was, <laughs> I thought I heard something. But obviously, that is not our cold open. Our cold open usually sometimes writes itself. Today is one of those occasions where the cold opening is so blatant at us, it hits us right in the face like a hurricane spin move off the edge. We have no time to react. It's just right there in front of us. And that would be Jordan Addison's commitment last Thursday, which lined up perfectly with the first day of my vacation. So you're welcome, USC fans. That's (laughs) the only reason why he committed on Thursday. I'm telling you right now, if I started on Wednesday, he would have committed Wednesday. If it started on Friday, he would have committed on Friday. If I did not take a vacation this week, we would not be talking about him commitment. That's how the that's how the game goes. That's how it's been played. So I knew when I started it that something big was going to happen, and there it was. So Jordan Addison, 2021 Blitnikoff winner, is a USC Trojan. He is already on campus. Gavin Morris already tweeted out, you know, one of those uh, transfer portal, the transfer portal shot, you know, that scene. I don't know where it is in the USC offices, but they have that uh, printout of the quote-unquote transfer portal uh, on a wall, stuck up. Cooper Lovelace, he is also on campus, had his little stretching photo, but we're going to focus on J.A., and I know, Gerard, you're going to say some things that maybe are going to be a little controversial in terms of this pickup. So, Hurricane, what do you got right now? I don't think it's necessarily controversial. I don't know if I'd want to go that far. I just, Okay, okay. I think it's a good get for USC. Do I think it's a big get for USC? No. Because I think big get implies that it's a get at a need position. And wide receiver really is not a need position for USC. They've got a good wide receiver core. They've gotten some transfers from some players that are going to make an impact. I think Jordan Addison is kind of similar to Mario Williams if you watch film. I think Mario Williams is a tad more sudden. He's got a little more quick twitch to him not quite as big as Jordan Addison. And certainly Jordan Addison being a senior doesn't have the awareness. I think Jordan Addison is both really good at catching the ball in traffic for six-foot receiver. He's not very big, um, but I think Mario Williams is probably about 5'10", so he's bigger than Mario Williams in that regard. Uh, but he's very good at seeing the defense, filling out the zones, and you see some big plays from him where he's able to break off his route and he's able to find an open area in the secondary and make some big catches. They kind of lose him a lot when you watch that film of him at Pitt. The defense sort of initially has coverage, and then their quarterback gets loose, and you're going to see that a lot, obviously, with Caleb Williams. And Jordan Addison is able to get his head on the swivel and just kind of see where the secondary is, where the coverage is, and break into that open field. And he makes some really good plays there. So I think he's a very good player, and I think he will definitely be a contributor for USC. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they line him up. I think, you know, he at Pitt could line up both outside and inside. He has that ability. I think you'll see that at USC as well. But then you have Mario Williams who can do the same thing. And then you have Gary Bryant who mostly played in the slot at USC. And we haven't seen a whole lot of Gary Bryant at USC. We've only seen flashes of his ability, but he's also a player that you would think could play both inside and outside. So it's really going to be quite a shell game for USC's offense, being able to put guys in the slot and put them outside, not allow uh, the secondary to be able to necessarily have a a consistent coverage on how to come in and, and 
prepare for where they're going to be lining up and everything. But uh, certainly USC, you know, doesn't have the size that they had at receiver uh, when they had Michael Pittman and uh, you had uh, Drake London, you had some of those bigger receivers. Right now you're really uh, looking at the tight end position or maybe, you know, Kyle Ford is, is, is a little bigger. He's a bigger frame. Um, but in terms of that debate as to, you know, is this a good pickup versus a, a big pickup? I think it's a good pickup. I don't think it's necessarily one that's this game changer for USC's offense or game changer necessarily for USC um, that makes them so much better of a team. It's always great to get depth from good players. And again, it would be uh, looked at as a good get because it's some additional talent that you're able to bring in. But the issues that USC, I think, would have, you know, when we talked about this sort of second half of the portal and going into it after, you know, the, the, the spring ball period and you had additional guys jump into the portal, those areas of need are still areas of need. You know, defensive line, uh, especially in the interior, and offensive line, especially at offensive tackle. Those are still issues for USC that have not really been resolved, I think, you know, being able to get Lovelace uh, in the interior was a, a, a good get, you know, a good body to get another guy that can play in the interior. Uh, but they still missed out on getting that offensive tackle that they really need. And we're just going to have to see how they supplement that and how that goes during the season. If um, Cortland Ford's able to really step up and be the guy that he's kind of being projected by for some people, he's talked about as potentially being a first round pick. Um, if he can be that guy, then you know, USC can go much further, but that's still an area of concern for USC. And uh, Jordan Addison isn't going to alleviate that a whole bunch. It, it, it helps, again, to have more talented players at the skill positions. You're going to have more options. Uh, Caleb Williams maybe gets the ball out of his hands a little quicker because those guys are able to get open. But nevertheless, um, it's still a, a concern, uh, I think, for USC in terms of how far they can go uh, if they can actually make the playoffs. I see what you're saying, but USC fans are just incredibly fired up to, to, to get another five-star caliber transfer, which Addison is. He's one of five five-star prospects in the 247 transfer portal rankings. You know, he comes in at number three, Caleb being number one, USC the only school with uh, two five-star pickups out of the portal. Addison, obviously, is the Bolitnikoff winner from last season, an award that would have probably gone to Drake London if he had not fractured his ankle in that Arizona win. Uh, you know, he was one of the top receivers in the nation. 100 receptions for 1,593 yards and 17 touchdowns. You know, he's up there with Larry Fitzgerald, who's pretty good in terms of that, uh, those, those Pittsburgh, uh, program marks. You know, he's had 160 receptions over his two seasons at Pittsburgh. So he is productive. He has experience. He is a, a all American in both of those seasons, including a freshman all American in, in that, uh, 2020 season. Gerard, I don't think I've ever gotten your thoughts on this or your opinions on this going into this about the offense. Maybe you have on Tunnel Vision or something, but certainly not on this podcast. But, you know, USC with his offense, Caleb Williams and these wide receivers, there was always this feeling that USC's receiving core was sort of going to not really have a true number one, if that makes sense in this. And it was going to be spread out a lot. You weren't going to see a guy have 
sort of like Drake London or Jordan Addison type numbers with like 90 receptions or 80 receptions over 1200 yards, something like that. You weren't really going to see that. You were going to see a bunch of guys with like 40 to 50 catches and 800, 900 yards, stuff like that. But with Addison, do you feel like you should, we, we could pencil him in as like being the true number one for this offense, uh, for 2022? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, Mario Williams had the potential of mm-hmm. being that guy. I think for Trojan fans, it's sometimes a little difficult to picture a bunch of six foot guys and figure out, well, who's going to be number one? Cause they're so used to the number one being that Mike Williams type of wide receiver, uh, that Patrick Turner type of wide receiver, Drake London. They've done so well with big wide receivers. When you go back, uh, the last guy that was a six foot wide receiver who was like the true number one, I think you have to actually go back to probably Robert Woods. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown was there, yeah. but he was there among a good group of receivers and sort of overlapped with some guys that were true number ones, like Michael Pittman. Uh, you had Tyler Vaughn's there. You had an incredible group. And I, I don't know if, if Amon Ross St. Brown was, was really the number one guy in the same sense that Robert Woods was. And then when Robert Woods uh, becomes number one, establishes himself, you have Marquise Lee come in. And that was something that a lot of us joked behind the scenes. When Marquise Lee got into the picture, he was so athletic and dynamic, it really mesmerized Lane Kiffin. He was so enamored with the potential of Marquise Lee. I think what he saw from Robert Woods was a guy that could have 11 catches for 100 yards and be very productive. What he saw in Marquise Lee was a potential 80-yard touchdown every time he touched the ball. So it was really, he could be the next Reggie Bush. And Lane Kiffin was an offensive coordinator at USC when Reggie Bush was there. So he immediately, I think, started to try to force feed, we go back to force feed, maybe that's going to be the uh, theme of this uh of this podcast. I, I don't think I don't I don't think so, Hurricane. I don't think okay, force feed's okay, gonna get a right. hurricane. I tried. Okay. But uh but, but he really tried to force feed Marquis Lee to be the guy, to be the number one guy, because he felt like he had ultimately the best pro potential. And it went horribly wrong because Robert Woods was a leader in the locker room and he was a guy that had a lot of respect from his teammates and he was very humble and he worked very hard and he understood how to take that role. Robert Woods was made for that role. He'd been that guy at Sarah High School, and Marquise Lee was not. Marquise always was sort of the sixth man. He was always the guy that came in, and he had amazing potential, and he was dynamic, but he was always that guy that sort of picked his spot, and he wasn't ready to be the leader, especially with Woody there. And Woody was, you know, getting basically overlooked at that point, to try to get Marquise Lee, I think Lane saw that athleticism and just put everything into that athleticism. So, you know, that true number one, it, it, with Trojan fans, it usually is this big, you know, they're bigger than life receiver that 6'4, you know, 6'5, 230 pounds. It's like, yeah, that's our number one guy. That's the first guy that comes off the bus. Another interesting dynamic in getting Jordan Addison, and I do believe he will be that number one player is 
that there was a recent ranking by PFF that came out that put mm-hmm. him as the number two wide receiver in the nation. And a lot of people took issue with that because he's the Belitnikov winner. So that kind of conveys that he was the number one receiver one, right, right. in the nation. But I think that also speaks to the difference between a good college football player and pro potential. And that was, again, going back to Robert Woods versus Marquise Lee. Robert Woods was looked at in Lane's eyes as a guy that had a certain ceiling. Um, and he did a lot of intangibles, but maybe athletically, purely, if you're just going by like a combine situation, you would pick Marquise Lee, which obviously hasn't turned out to be true long term because Mark. Keith Lee has not had the pro career that Roberts Wood did. So, again, that was a miscalculation, I think, by Lane Kiffin. But nevertheless, I see sort of the thinking there at the time because Marquis Lee was such a dynamic athlete. Um, so I think with Jordan Addison, that, again, seeing him rank number two, it's just conveying that, yes, he's been a very productive college football player, but college football awards certainly do not represent how the NFL draft is going to go. And that PFF ranking, I don't know exactly how they come to their conclusions, but I would think that's probably what has come together in their conclusion. It has a lot to do with the attributes physically and how those translate to the pro game as opposed to being completely on production and uh, a college football award. So that's kind of I can see that. That isn't necessarily why I think he's a good get versus a big get. I just think that that sort of uh, – it's interesting because you do ask that question about who's the number one guy, and that's a different question depending on what you're weighing number one on. You know, is it – is it, who, who's the most athletic? Who's the most dynamic? I think Mario Williams has maybe the best pro potential. He's, he's small, mm-hmm. smaller. He's not necessarily small, but he's smaller, but I think he's a bit more quick twitch. I think he might be able to do a little more in the open field. We'll see. I mean, you know, I'm judging again by a freshman year at Oklahoma. We didn't get to see a whole lot of him. Um, and Jordan Addison at uh, Pitt with a number one, you know, wide receiver. He was, I think, what the quarterback from Pitt was uh, taken in the first round. Can he um, pick it? Yeah, so so you know he he had a good quarterback there. He, he had a quarterback that that got him the ball and really uh, made sure that you know he was taken care of as that number one guy. Um, he's going to have more competition at USC for catches. You know he's going to have to uh, fight a little more for the ball uh, when you've got Brendan Rice there and uh, you've got um, Mario Williams as we talked about a little more. Uh, the tight end position is probably going to be utilized more, I think, with. Uh, with USC than it was at Pitt. I, I again, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I didn't watch a whole lot of Pitt football last year, and mainly I've watched Jordan Addison football, so I'm not sure how much they threw the ball around. But I think Oklahoma likes, or Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma liked to use the tight end position a little more. Um, and so, yeah, there's going to be uh, a, a little more that USC is going to have to figure out in terms of getting the ball spread around. And that's going to be a little more in terms of production, a challenge for, for Jordan Addison. So I do think he's the number one guy just because he comes in. He's got the Belinda Award. Um, and I think that I, 
I feel that there's a good chance that Lincoln Riley and, and uh, the coaching staff feel like they need to make sure that Jordan Addison is taken care of. Like he had faith, he's coming to USC, yeah. he wants to play with Caleb Williams, and they want to make that that right. You know, they don't want him to have a year where all of a sudden he drops to like the fourth round. Um, so I think there will be uh, some plans for him, and they're very cognitive of going to get him the ball. Uh, I think throughout they were very cognitive of getting uh, the transfers, the football in that scrimmage. I mean, I think that was very obvious that uh, I think it was like the first three or four plays all went to transfer players. So um, I think, you know, from that standpoint, they are going to try to get him the ball as much again as they can. Um, but he's going to have, there's going to be more talent there and there's going to be guys that are going to be probably open because Jordan Addison will be getting the ball early. And also sort of a side effect Maybe not, maybe side effect isn't the right word, but USC obviously has this, uh, first round streak going in the NFL draft. And now that Jordan Addison is on board, their chances are a lot better of keeping that going because they didn't really have a sort of slam dunk first round guy that, you know, could be up there. I mean, you talked about Cortland Ford, but that was more like, Throw, throw something against the wall and see if it sticks because there's not really identifiable 32 first-round guys. Tuli Tuipolotu, I think, is a guy who could be in that first-round discussion if he has a monster season that you know a lot of people think he could have as a junior now uh, going into 2022. But Addison, for sure, is a guy who's already being pegged as a first-round guy for 2023, somewhere between you know maybe the second wide receiver off the boards, even some of the first wide receiver off the boards. So... With him on him on the team, I think USC's uh, first round draft streak is in good shape to to continue for at least one more season, and then it could really get rolling again with you know Lincoln Riley and that uh, that staff. But I just sort of wanted to play off something you said earlier when you were talking about Jordan Addison and this number one receiver and how it's always been traditionally sort of like a bigger guy. Um, and this is something I thought of just like listening to you talk, but. Do you feel like this staff is not really recruiting bigger wide receivers? Because if you kind of look at the makeup of it, not a lot of terms of size in the wide receiver room. You know, look, even looking at 2023, you know, Makai Lemon, more like an Amon Ross St. Brown type body. He's not that big. Uh, Zachariah Branch, obviously he's not over five foot ten, but man, can't even catch him. So, we we know why he's 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 signed on with this class, not signed on but committed. And then DeAndre Moore, obviously he's not a super tall guy as well. Brandon Innes, not a super tall guy as well either. So it seems like more of these like shorter, faster, six foot guys have been sort of the the model that Lincoln has offered. And if you just look at the roster now, Brandon Rice is your 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 tallest guy at like six foot two, maybe six foot three. He's a big guy. Kyle Ford, about six foot two, maybe a tall six foot one, more built than anything. And then uh, CJ Williams, he's probably the the third biggest guy. He's sort of in that long six foot two, long six foot one range. Don't really have that six foot four guy yet. Maybe we'll see that recruited in the next couple cycles, but or maybe Lincoln's more uh, or is fine with you know using the tight end as that sort of big bodied. Uh, pass catcher in this offense. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that in terms of recruiting a bigger wide receiver as opposed to maybe the the smaller wideouts. Yeah, I think 
that's a trend that you've seen with USC, even when Graham Harrell came in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Drake London and that group were all recruited before Graham Harrell was hired at USC. And that's an earmark that you see with a lot of air raid offenses. They tend to go smaller, faster. Uh, possession receivers are all in that 5'11", 6-foot range because you're spreading the field and you're using the field to get guys open more than you are depending on one-on-one situations. Um, so I think because Lincoln Riley comes from that school, I'm sure personnel-wise, he feels comfortable with those types of receivers. I don't recall off the top of my head any really big receivers at Oklahoma, guys that were like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, that uh, were high-drafted Sooner players. I'm thinking yeah. off the top of my head. I, I really – nobody that really – you know, C.D. Lamb and those guys were all sort of that six-foot range. And so, yeah, that kind of tends to be a little bit of an earmark of the air raid offense. Um, the issue with that is usually run blocking. If you have smaller guys, you got a, a tougher time getting uh, good blocks on outside linebackers, safeties and even cornerbacks. And so I, I remember T. Martin talking about, you know, their draft analysis. And this was, I think, back when he was coaching under Lane. And we had a conversation about wide receivers and why they wanted to get bigger at wide receiver and continue to get bigger at wide receiver. And they had Robert Woods and they had Marcus Lee and they had good players, but they were kind of Recruiting off those guys, but knowing that they wanted to get bigger because they felt like the NFL was getting bigger and it had a lot to do with being able to run block. And that was the thing that, you know, with smaller receivers, it made it more difficult. Now, obviously in the air raid, you're not as worried about run blocking because you don't run the ball very much. But Lincoln Riley's offense, even though it derives from the air raid, or at least that's sort of his background more or less, um, he does want to run the ball and he has had more balanced offenses at Oklahoma. So um, that's not necessarily something that I think he has seen or, or he's, you know, witnessed where it's changed how he's recruited players. I think certainly if they go out and they see that there's a guy that's in that six, four range, it's just a really good athlete. Everybody's going to recruit that player. I, I, you know, there's always those guys. I think, you know, the, the, most impressive big receiver that I've seen that USC's offered a scholarship to is it's probably Akeem Williams. Uh, I think Akeem Williams out of uh, Fort Lauderdale is about 6'3", 195 pounds, 200 pounds. And we saw him play in the pylon tournament for South Florida Express. And he is one of those big guys that can go up and get the ball. Um, not huge. Kind of remind me a little bit of David Osbury. I think he's a, a little – more advanced football player at this stage, uh, probably better ball skills. David Osbury didn't have great ball skills coming out of college. He was just a big, young athlete at probably about 6'4", 6'3", 210, and ended up really not doing a whole lot at USC as a receiver, uh, but got a cup of coffee in the NFL as a tight end. Um, so, you know, with the guys that USC is recruiting right now under Lincoln Riley, I think for sure, it's a, the group, uh, from a number standpoint is certainly bent more towards that six foot wide receiver than it is six, four wide receivers. They've offered a few guys, um, 
you know, Tyler Williams is another guy out of Lakeland, who's 6'3", 180, that uh, has some interest in USC, uh, might potentially officially visit USC this summer. Um, but none of these guys are over 200 pounds uh, for the most part, you know, and that's one of those things that uh, you would see quite a bit, I think, with uh, Pete Carroll and some of those other coaches um, that had come through USC. They made a point to make sure they could find some of those guys. Now those guys tend to be more hybrid sort of tight ends, which is basically what they labeled Drake London as at USC uh, as Graham Harrell took over. It, he became all of a sudden this hybrid wide receiver, even though he was playing plenty, um, uh, you know, stand up and, and really never, ever uh, put his hand down. So it was kind of like, okay, you know, how much of a tight end is he really? I think it's just the offense and how they use their players. Um, but uh, that's probably going to be similar to what we see with this offense uh, with Lincoln Riley, wh- where you have uh, the tight end type position, guys that can get out in the Y and they're detached from the line. Um, but they also use the more traditional guy that has his hand on the ground. The thing is, I don't know how much we're going to see both of those players on the field at the same time. I think with USC and that sort of Drake rate offense, they used Drake London and a tight end almost always. So if you're going to say Drake London was a tight end, uh, at least, you know, at some point in his career, I mean, at the end of his career, he was obviously playing on the outside, which is not a tight end position. But if you're saying he's a tight end when he's playing in the slot, and you're, you're playing another tight end. You had uh, Eric Cromanhoek there. You're playing an 11 personnel technically. So I don't think you'll see a lot of that. I think you'll see the one tight end, but that tight end may be used more in the hybrid uh, away from the line of scrimmage outside. Going back to sort of the question you asked the last time Oklahoma had like a big wide receiver drafted that was successful. I can't really find one. The last guy who was like over six foot one was Justin Brown in 2013, a six round pick for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Didn't really do much, but that was in 2013, obviously before Lincoln Riley came on, but that's like the last big guy. You know, you have Sterling Shepard, Didi Westbrook, all those guys, Marquise Brown, all under that six foot one range. And you did make a point that even the last staff was going smaller as well but recall that they did for that brief moment have a commitment from the six foot three Caleb Douglas if you recall out of Texas and then he went and flipped to Florida after he decommitted when Lincoln Riley came on and I don't know if that was just a situation where well we can't really recruit any wide receivers so let's just take a guy who we can sell the Drake the Drake raid uh, pitch to moving forward that's what that kind of felt like yeah but Douglas was also like 175 pounds or something yeah. so it- he, I mean, there's there's tall receivers and there's big receivers, and there's mm-hmm. a difference. The distinction is the guy's going to be 200, you know, 20 pounds and has either that weight going into college or he can carry that weight. And I don't think uh, Caleb Douglas was that guy. And, and most of those 6'3 type receivers uh, that have been recruited for A-rate offenses aren't those bigger type guys. They end up being uh, tight ends for those offenses. So, uh, we'll see if, you know, that changes, if there's a kid on the West Coast that, uh, you know, comes out and is 6'4", and he can legitimately play receiver. Um, you know, you look at Deuce Robinson, and that's a guy that a lot of people kind of compare with Drake London, but I think Deuce Robinson is a bit more of a tight end. I, I think while he can split wide and he can play in the slot, certainly he's a good receiver, he's a good athlete, he's not a straight-up, um, wide receiver the way Drake London was in high school. 
Um, and I think, uh, just speed wise and, and the explosiveness and what have you, not necessarily the same. I mean, even Michael Trigg, that was a guy that played predominantly wide receiver in high school, but you looked at him and you saw, you know, he's six, he's six, four, two, three, probably going to be two forty. He's a guy that's going to play a little more tight end and be close to the line than he's going to play split out wide. And so, uh, they did recruit those players, but they definitely made them more of those tight end hybrid type of players. And that's, you know, going back to Pete Carroll and Lane Kiffin originally when they kind of got the big receiver tradition going, at least in the modern era of USC football, you know, they got Mike Williams because everybody else was saying that he was a tight end and recruiting him as a tight end. And Lane Kiffin and Pete Carroll decided, you know what, we're going to try it. This guy, even though he's 6'5", 225, at wide receiver. We're going to make him a legitimate wide receiver and see what he can do. And he obviously was very successful at USC. And so that kind of got the tradition going. And bigger receivers had the faith and belief that I'm not just going to go to USC and play a year at receiver. And then eventually they'll put weight on me and they're going to put me at tight end because that's what big receivers don't want. I mean, if you're playing receiver and you're a guy like Drake London, you want to be able to play receiver and be a receiver. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we'll see if USC can continue that because I think, you know, the last staff, you sort of saw that transition, that transformation as to those big receivers being looked at more as quote unquote tight ends. As I said before, they kept calling Drake London a tight end. And, you know, I always sort of rolled my eyes at that a little bit because it was like, you know, he's, he's not really a tight end. And certainly the NFL scouts have reinforced that. Absolutely. Now, Hurricane, before we move on, is there anything else you want to add about Jordan Addison or talk about? We could do like 30 minutes on the DMV and its importance if you want. <laughs> no, I, I just, I mean, you know, I just think it's it's an interesting thing. I, I think Trojan fans got competitive and they saw a guy there that was a five-star guy. Right. And uh, there's a lot of excitement. And anytime you get a five-star player, you know, that's a, that's a dynamic addition to the roster. Um, I just wanted to make the distinction between it's a good get versus it being a big get and not glossing over the fact that there's still some needs there that USC has not really addressed. I think for us to all of a sudden start to talk about, is this an actual playoff team? You know, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to put a ceiling on the team necessarily, but I would not necessarily bet that they're there because I think there's some other aspects of the team that uh, need to be reinforced and developed before you can really start talking like that. Um, and so, I, you, think, you know, I was going to say, are you telling me you're not one of those people that put a bunch that a bunch of money that's been flooding into Vegas for USC to win the national championship? Are you telling no. me that you're not part of that that flood? I'm not part of that flood. And, okay. uh, and, and I, and I didn't think, you know, Jordan Addison's commitment was necessarily like the deal breaker in that. I, mean, I think that's kind of the point is that, um, you know, I can understand the excitement. There should be excitement. Uh, it's a, it's a good get. Uh, a five star guy is always a good get. Um, but, you know, but he can't play tackle or he can't stuff the middle. And, and, and people get annoyed by those, <laughs> those posts, you know, that always come up, you know, can he play offensive tackle? But there's some truth into it. You know, there's certainly, you know, it's going to be one of those things where, again, USC is going to have to supplement some of these positional needs. And, um, you know, we'll, see, we'll just see how that goes. Look, I, I am, for one, I'm excited about it just because it's another reason for me to talk about the DMV. 
on any show that I'm on, be it the Parasite Podcast, be it this show, be it Tunnel Vision, whatever. I'm just excited that there's another DMV native, a, a son of DMV is now coming to the, the, the West Coast. That That's all I'm excited about. And that's all I got out of it. And aren't you excited that uh, Jordan Addison sort of took the logical route, which we kind of broke down in our last two-star uh, uh, podcast? We, we joked about it like the logic. You got to look at it logically, but sometimes the logic doesn't even doesn't even get you there, you know. So it it felt pretty good for us to talk about that, and then for it to come to fruition that way. Yeah, finally, like you know, <laughs> you you sort of uh, check boxes, and you're trying to you know break it down rationally, and it actually comes to fruition that way. At least USC versus Texas. I mean, there is the argument: Why are you going to USC? They got a bunch of other good receivers. You should go to a school that has a good quarterback, but they don't have any receivers. But that wasn't necessarily the choice, and that wasn't what we were looking at. We were looking at USC versus Texas, and USC made the most sense, um, you know, and it and it came out that way. So that was a good thing. That was a good thing um, to feel like you can actually critically think <laughs> these decisions through, you know, and they're just not – it's just not a complete – uh, you know, just throw it into the wind and just see where it goes, you know, random decisions. Okay, Hurricane. I feel like we've had four consecutive two-star podcasts where we've had to start or mention a commitment and break down a commitment, and that streak continues. But now we're going to transition a little bit to guys that USC didn't get. Obviously, Jermaine Lolay, the, the big Arizona defensive tackle, he went ahead and committed to Louisville, which has done a really good job recruiting the West Coast. Uh, especially at, at St. John Bosco. And then the Juco linebacker out of Tyler, Texas, Gavin Forsha, who committed to Kansas State the other day. I believe it was yesterday. Uh, he was a guy that USC was involved with, came in late, offered him, took an official visit, uh, early last week. You know, we were talked about it on the podcast how he was essentially down to the Trojans and the Wildcats. It was going to be one of the two. I wouldn't say I felt like confident that it was going to be USC. I thought there was a good chance it could be. Obviously, it's 50-50 at that point. But Kansas State had been recruiting him for a while. And, you know, it was one of those situations where it felt like, do you go with the the school that has been, like, showing you the consistent love for the beginning? Or do you go with the, you know, the program? You know, let's be honest, a lot sexier than Kansas State out there in Manhattan. USC has a lot more to offer outside of the football in addition to the football, you know, Los Angeles, weather, beaches, whatever. So would that appeal more to, you know, sort of maybe having a loyalty to the school that was like stayed on you from the beginning? And in the end, it was Kansas State. You know, that that's where he felt comfortable. That's where it felt right. So USC does not pick up that lot, that another Juco, uh, a linebacker. So again, the question about a uh, fan favorite of the show Carson Tabaracci, Tabarucci, wherever you, how you want to say it. I know you're going to talk a little bit about the pronunciation, but so, so a couple guys USC didn't get and then leaves the door open for, for a linebacker, another different linebacker for, for the Trojans. I, I said another different linebacker. That's like the worst sentence I've ever had. Hurricane, save me. Save me, Hurricane. Well, it makes the podcast more better. More better. There you go. The more yes, better podcast. Carson, Carson Tabarachi. But you got to understand, we enjoy saying mm-hmm. Tabarucci. Yeah. Tabarucci. You're able to roll that R a little more. It just feels good to say Tabarucci. But it is Carson Tabarucci. Yes. And 
the interesting thing, obviously, with Forza committing to Kansas State is everybody sort of connecting whether USC will get Carson Tabarachi via what happens with Forza. Now, I know Forza had a committable offer to USC. It wasn't one of those things that USC was saying, you know, we're going to wait for Car- Car- uh, Carson Tabarachi to commit and we don't want you to commit yet. And they were slow playing him. From what I understand, if he wanted to commit, he could have commit. And so now has something happened behind the scenes where now USC has said, hey, sorry, that spot's taken. You took too long. I, I don't know 100 uh, percent, but he does commit to Kansas State and USC is still in the running for Carson Tabarachi. And from the latest that I've heard is that there's still a lot of thought that he's going to end up at USC. Now, Carson Tabarachi is just a much more dynamic athlete. If you watch mm-hmm. his film, you're looking at a running back, quarterback, wide receiver, above all else, out of high school. Um, he played, I think, a little bit of both ways at Utah, played a little bit fullback, and played a little bit of linebacker for them in the spring. From what we understand, USC is recruiting him for defense. But he's a guy, and I think I mentioned in this in the last podcast, in terms of comparisons athletically, he's got a little Vitel, uh, Vi to him as a running back. So, you know, I, I don't know that it's out of the question that he could play running back at USC. Um, certainly that position exists where they have an H-back in that offense. If you look at the Oklahoma offense and the players that they used, but like I said, it sounds like they're recruiting him for defense, and he would be a very good pickup. He would be a very good pickup. Uh, I I would say borderline maybe big pickup because USC mm-hmm. does need, again, there's that word need, linebackers. They do need some depth there, and they do need some playmakers there, and he's a guy that could definitely provide that. Again, watch his high school film. I mean, this is a guy that is highly skilled player. The question I had about Gavin Forsha is that the majority of his film is him playing outside linebacker off the edge, sort of like a rush end, but he's only about six two six three two twenty, And that's just not big enough at the division one level to play a lot. you you really don't want to have that guy stand on line of scrimmage a whole lot. You're going to have to peel him back and put him off the line of scrimmage. And while he did does do a little bit of that at John Tyler uh, junior college, his film shows that his strength is definitely playing off the edge. And I just don't know in USC's defense that that would be where you would want to play him. So that were, there were some questions for me about Forshaw. I think a very good player, uh, very productive at the JC level. But if you can get Car- Carson uh, Tabarucci, uh, Tabarucci, I think that's the go. That's the get. And that would be uh, a bigger get for USC in terms of long-term potential I mean, again, you've got a kid just coming out of high school. You've got more time to develop him, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, we're going to see what happens there. But the last I checked, which was literally today, you know, people that, that know him, that are close to him, still feel like USC is the team to beat. And he has, as we mentioned, taken multiple trips to the Trojans and haven't really heard anything else in terms of, if he's visited anywhere or anything like that, but I, th- I think a lot of people on the P are very excited about the the potential of 
Tabarachi, Tabaruchi. Which one are we saying it? It's Tabaruchi? Well, it's Tabarachi. That's how it's spelled. Okay, so we say Tabaruchi. I keep getting yeah. I keep I keep getting it. I keep getting it mixed up in my head. Like yeah. I think I I got it confused writing it in in the war room. I think I wrote it right a couple times, and then somewhere along the line, I got called out for uh, for for writing Tabaruchi, uh, just because again, it just uh, once you get Tabaruchi in your head, there's no going back. It's hard to go back to Tabarachi. It's you know, like you really, it's one of those words. It's like. All of a sudden, it's just fixed in your mind. Like that's it's how you stuck. say it. So it's just one of those peristyle memes that goes on and lives in infamy forever. So you know, we'll see. If he commits to USC and ends up at USC, I'm sure it will. It will. It will maintain. Uh, if he goes somewhere else, then it'll be. It'll come and go. Right, and as I mentioned, USC did not went out for Lole, which would have been a massive get for them. You know, he's he's going to the Cardinal instead. USC did pick up. A defensive lineman out of the portal, Sinjun Astani, uh, six foot four, 261 pound senior out of San Jose State. You confirm that he will be a, a preferred walk on. Uh, he only played in five games in 2020. He missed some time in 2019 with an injury, red, red shirted in 2018. He's local from Loyola High School. His dad is apparently a pretty big, uh, donor, uh, for USC. So there is a connection there, but he, you know, is a guy who's just going to be depth and that's what they need. And this goes back to a joke I made on the, uh, the family feud podcast a while ago about there is no, you don't see walk on defensive linemen, Gerard. They just don't exist out there. And now there is one. Sinjan Astani, preferred walk on. We got a walk on defensive lineman. So 6'4", 261, that looks good. Just a guy maybe that can help in practice in the scout team, scout team defense, because that was a big issue last year. They did not have enough scout team defensive linemen. But a decent pickup in terms of, you know, helping just with depth. I don't think he's going to play a lot, but they do need more depth bodies overall for that that line. And they still do need more interior guys. Yeah, I don't know if it's true that there's not a lot of walk-on defensive linemen. I, I would have to go back through the annals of USC football. I know there's a lot of walk-ons on the offensive side of the football when it comes to linemen. Um, that seems to be yeah, a yeah. common occurrence. Uh, but yeah, I mean, USC needs depth. Hey, maybe this kid comes in and he likes to roll on fire and, and sure. being a guy in the rotation. Like I, I, again, I, I don't like to put a cap on anybody, but, um, yeah, the need, for a, a dynamic three technique is still there at USC. You know, they still need that guy. Uh, potentially, Tuli ends up being that guy. Um, you know, we've seen him used outside a little bit. Again, I kind of go, Ugh, you know, get that guy in the three technique, let him play the one, uh, the, the one gap and just get upfield and, and be a menace, you know, and, and hopefully you could keep Brandon Peely, um, Healthy, because that's another position there next to that interior position at the one shade or zero shade, depending on how you're playing it. That's very important. And USC does not have a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of big bodies. Um, they had Jay Toya there who looked like he was going to be a good, um, reserve, you know, in back of And obviously he's not there anymore. So that's, you know, big bodies are, are few and far between a little bit with that interior of the defense. Not a lot of 300 pound plus guys on that defensive line. And that's what you see from the big boys. And by big boys, I mean 
the SEC and the schools that are getting to that college football playoff and winning games in it, the teams that are constantly winning their conference championships, the consistent teams, you've got those big bodies, you know, your Clemson's, your Ohio State's, your Alabama's, uh, your LSU's, so on and so forth. And so uh, I know that that is not necessarily what Alex Grinch has developed his defense around. His defense has sort of been, uh, at least coming from Washington State, it was like the air raid version of a defense, you know, where they used a lot of smaller players. And because that was what they were getting, that was what they were able to recruit, they schemed around that. And it worked for them at Washington State. And he got to Ohio State and he had a good defense as he was co-coordinator. And then he gets to Oklahoma and it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, there have been some big games where the defense has not played well. Certainly in those playoff games, that defense for Oklahoma did not play well. And so, again, you know, you, you, you're taking a scheme that was derived from a lack of talent. And that's where the air raid comes from. It comes from schools that didn't have the talent that USC could recruit. So a lot of people that are obviously not real football people were going off on, oh, my God. Graham Harrell, the, the air raid offense at USC, can you imagine it? It's going to score 100 points a game because, you know, that's how it works, right? You have guys at Texas Tech and Washington State that are these little 5'10 receivers that are not NFL prospects, and they're catching, you know, 80 balls a season, and this offense is prolific for those teams. You just plug in those USC players like Drake London and Amon Ross St. Brown and Michael Pittman, and boom, there you go. It's just, you just double everything. You just double the production. And that's just not how football works necessarily. So the jury is still out on Alex Grinch's defense in that regard is that it's a defense that again was derived from less talent, smaller players. Uh, but when you start to plug in guys and you can recruit bigger players and more talented players, does it still work the same? Is it still as good? And so that's what we're going to find out. I think over the next two years, the next two seasons, we're going to see if USC's defense can, uh, can, can be good, can, can be uh, on the level of their offenses. Look, people just wanted to see that experiment, and the experiment went sideways. I mean, the UCLA game. Diagonal, 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 diagonal. It went backwards in a diagonal fashion. You have one too many spin moves. Your brain's all jellied right now. Yeah, I, I'm still thinking about Tawarucci. But, it, yeah, so, so it's going backwards, but a, but kind of at a diagonal fashion. It, it, it didn't go completely backwards because you did have that one year where offensively they were very productive. And, I mean, you had that game against UCLA where, I mean, everybody, all the receivers, like four receivers had over 100 yards. Like, that's, that's what you think when you think air raid. But then you have the shortened season, and the offense was awful. It was awful. The defense really are what kept them in games and helped them win those close games. And then you had last season, which it was just, it was both sides basically just folded up. Um, yeah, I, 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 it definitely, and again, I know I make this point all the time and I apologize, but I do have to be the dead horse when I say the air raid offense and an offense that does not run the ball hurts your defense because you're not seeing that in practice every day. That physical, aggressive mentality that's built when you have an offense that can run the ball, it it toughens up your defense. And so when you don't have that, that's always an issue. Now, again, I'll interject that 
although Lincoln Riley comes from that air raid background, he has run the ball successfully at Oklahoma. Of course, you also have to also interject that Graham Harrell ran the ball pretty well at Northern Texas. Excuse me. That he and did, so that he did, that he did. That was the question, you know, is he going to really run the air raid? Well, they didn't really run the air raid at USC. It wasn't a five-receiver set every down. You know, they used to get them the ball a lot, unless you're, again, including Drake London in that, and I think that was just for recruiting purposes. Like, hey, we need some statistics from the tight end position. They recruit some tight ends. Um, but – it wasn't the straight air raid offense and it didn't work either. And Graham Harrell was running the ball pretty well at North Texas. He was very good and very accomplished at North Texas, whatever, for whatever reason, it did not work at USC. So, you know, again, we always use transfer to properties to say, Oh, well, this is just going to plug this in at USC and boom, it's going to be amazing. Maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. I think for the most part, from an offensive standpoint, you're looking at a coach which has uh, really created his own offense. He's in charge of his own offense. He calls the plays, and I think he's done a good job hiring guys around him that are qualified. And I think all those things are really what help USC ultimately because while you could bring Graham Harrell into the mix at USC and whatever offense he was going to run, you still had Clay Helton as a coach, and Clay Helton was unqualified to be the head coach at USC. So ultimately I think that's what – creates failure in, in that situation. Failure, Gerard, failure. Well, let's move on from there. After we talked about the damper of losing some guys, uh, let's talk about the guys USC added, added for official visitors. I feel like we have an official visitor section for the last three, just like we've talked about commitments. You know, obviously you have that big June 16 and 19 weekend. We have a move, uh, that we've talked about previously. Gerard, do you want to run through those? Yeah, so this is, you know, an evolving topic, and it mm-hmm, will be mm-hmm. evolving all the way up until we get to June uh, because that's just what happens with visitors. Um, you have that big 16th through 19th weekend that just seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, we're literally, I think, 18 recruits that are signed up to be on campus that stretch of three days basically it's you know going from thursday into sunday i don't know if there'll be overlap maybe that some kids get in a little earlier but it's basically going to be those three days you're going to have 20 odd probably official visitors um garland texas defensive end trey wilson not a guy that we've heard much about a four-star he's going to be on campus he's scheduled an official visit with usc now uh fellow garland and i don't think they're from the same high school but garland Offensive lineman slash defensive lineman Marquis Deal is also scheduled an official visit for USC that weekend. Uh, USC has been talking to him about playing defensive line, although most of the publications rank him more as an interior offensive lineman. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Cypress, Texas defensive tackle Terrence Green, who we talked about uh, a little bit uh, in the podcast, I think, last week, also scheduled his official visit for uh, the 16th, the 17th. And then you have Manny, Louisiana, four-star linebacker, Tackett Curtis, who was scheduled to officially visit USC uh, on the 17th, has now bumped his visit up to June 10th. So we talked a little bit about him wanting to be at USC on a weekend where he could 
get more one-on-one time with the coaching staff. And right now that weekend, all we have is I think John Walker, the defensive tackle from Osceola, Florida, uh, he's the only one that's scheduled for that weekend. Jordan Hall is a potential official visitor as well. He's jumped back and forth, supposedly the 16th and then maybe the 10th, maybe not at all recently I've heard. So we'll see what happens there, but the 10th weekend is going to be uh, a lot, uh, a lot quieter in terms of the amount of visitors that are going to be there. And the coaching staff is going to be able to have probably more time with individual visitors. And that's what Tackett Curtis wanted, which is, is, is a good thing, I think, for USC, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you want to be able to just have as much face time with a guy that's clearly number one on your board at his position as possible. Absolutely. And I think we talked about that a little bit last week, or if it wasn't last week, it was the week before. But, you know, he's making his decision in July and he, he doesn't want to like waste any time making this, this, this decision. You know, it's going to take visits to Wash, uh, Washington, Wisconsin and Ohio State and USC. Those are kind of the, that are viewed as kind of those three top teams. And he's down to the, he's down to the nitty gritty. He's down to business. He's been to these schools before. Now it's time to get that final, that final pitch, that final one-on-one time to really set, settle, set, sit down, get any questions and concerns out of the way, get it all on the table. And then, you know, he's going to make his commitment in July. So you, for USC, that's good that they've got one of these key business trips. This isn't a trip to, to enjoy the beaches or the brunches, uh, out there or any of that stuff. This is like meet with the strength and conditioning coach. This is sit in the, sit in the, uh, meeting with Brian Odom and go over the defense, where they see him playing. Can I play early? That's what this kind of trip is. And you can only really get that with an intimate vi- uh, visit. You can't get that when you have 20 other kids on campus, you know? So that's a good sign for USC, as you said. And it shows, you know, they're in serious contention for their number one guy on their board in terms of the linebacker spot. And people were talking about where's all the size? Well, you just named a bunch of big bodies, Gerard. Looks like they got some size coming in. Yeah, they've got, I mean, that 16th uh, weekend, you've got uh, both a, a good group of offensive linemen and defensive linemen, which is obviously music <laughs> to the ears of USC fans. You know, Amos Talalele, who's a 6'5", 330. Um, Elijah Page, 6'7", 290. Lucas Simmons, 6'7", 300. Um, and, and Deal who's, you know, 6'4", 290. And again, Deal is ranked by 24-7 Sports as a four-star interior offensive lineman, whereas Simmons is uh, an offensive tackle and Page is an offensive tackle. Um, Amos Talele is being recruited by Sean Nua. Um, you know, where he ends up, if he's going to be a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman, not really sure. Uh, he's not a guy that's ranked by a lot of the publications. I think um, 24-7 Sports is really – one of the only publications that have seen him uh, to rank him. And he's ranked a, a three-star. Uh, he's ranked as the number 65 uh, defensive lineman in the, in the nation. And I think the number 68 player overall in California. So he's got, you know, a, a decent amount of offers. He's got Cal. He's got Washington. It's really um, Pac-12 scholarship offers that he's got. He's got uh, an official visit set up to Cal for June 2nd. And then he's got Washington June 24th. So Washington's a school that you kind of have to watch out for. Always got to watch out for the school that gets the last, the last visit. And, and with Tackett Curtis, even going back to that, you know, I made that 
sort of comparison to USC versus Ohio State and something just interesting to note that he still, I believe it's June 24th for their big win. He's making the distinction between USC and Ohio State in terms of what he wants to see. With Ohio State, if he keeps that visit for that weekend, then he's going to be there with a bunch of other recruits. And it's basically going to be like the USC weekend because Ohio State has a ton of recruits coming in that weekend. Um, so we'll see if, if that's the case. It's a little different for USC and what he wants to see than Ohio State. He feels more comfortable with what he's already seen with Ohio State and his relationship with the coaches. He doesn't feel like he needs as much one-on-one time. That is if, again, uh, he keeps that visit for Ohio State on that day. He may reschedule his other visits as well. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that right now. I just know that USD, he that visit up to June 10th. And obviously USC wants him bad. They need him bad. And obviously they've brought in some linebackers or still recruiting linebackers, but I still think you have to go. I mean, maybe all in isn't the right word, but you definitely need to put the full pre- full court press on getting a guy like Tackett, a consensus top 100 guy out of, you know, a hotbed state in Louisiana. So we'll see how that one unfolds. And again, this isn't the last time we're going to talk about official visitors, some guys who are moving their official visits, some guys that are dropping off that official visit date, and then some guys who are going to be added. So you could always count on an official visit update on this podcast. So that was for this week's moving on. We have a couple things before we get to a bunch of questions. Gerard, you want to do the Roderick Pleasant uh, is fast corner? <laughs> the, the 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 news of uh, him being fast is is not breaking. Uh, but yeah, he went a ten four one non one eighty at CIF Masters. So he ran the ten one uh, six. Excuse me, not ten four one, but ten one four. Get that wrong. Uh, ten, he ran the ten one six, which was win eighty. I, I, I was looking at it, I was like, that doesn't seem right because he ran so much faster the week before. So yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, a typo where I was like, I don't know what he wants to talk about with this. Is, are you, I thought you were going to be like, Roger Robinson, getting, Roger Pleasant, sorry, getting slower, getting slower. Should we be concerned? No, but it's a 10-1-6, <laughs> which I believe is the California record. 10-1-4 is the California record. 10-1-6 was, I think, second. I'm going off you, baby. Yeah, so I'm going um, off you, Hurricane. But nevertheless, uh, yeah, uh, Hurricane wind speeds, uh, <laughs> the speed winds. I don't know. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, it's just one of those things. Just to update. Yeah, he's fast. He's still fast. Um, is he going to break ten? I don't think so. I mean, and he never put that out there. You know, um, I think the one interesting thing. You know, I, I did ask him about uh, the whole pro track versus college football debate that. He's got to be having with his family at this point. You know, we talked about that a lot with uh, Nicholas Harbor. But, I mean, now you got to look at Roderick Pleasant as being certainly one of those guys, especially considering that Roderick Pleasant is not as big as Nicholas Harbor. Nicholas Harbor is an outlier as a track athlete. And so you could look at him and say, you know what, he's got the body of a football player. He should go for football because, you know, that's that's – ultimately where he's going to be in terms of his physical build. You know, it's going to be hard for him to keep off much more weight. I mean, he's already 225, 230. But with Roger Pleasant, 
that's not necessarily the case. You know, he's he's five ten and uh, one hundred seventy pounds, one hundred seventy five pounds, if you will, and uh, he's got more of a, a track frame on him. So down the line, yeah, that might be uh, an early ticket for him. Obviously, the NIL and all that kind of stuff. Now that you can actually be paid as a college football player does negate some of that, and it does, I think, make it a harder decision for him. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, he's fast, and he's still fast, and he is getting faster. I mean, he ran 10-1-6 with wind, and then he turned around with no wind and ran 10-1-4. So, um, yeah, that's very impressive. Very impressive from Roderick Pleasant. Just to be clear, 10-1-4 is the California record. That is the California state record. Okay, yes. he the the do you know what the world record is no i don't it's nine something probably well, well, nine for, for for under 18 oh no i don't 10 one three wow wow okay so that's yeah, yeah. that's doable he's gearing up you know i i'm not cra- it's not crazy to think he could break 10 by the end of the, by by the uh the state the state finals i breaking 10 is going to be hard to get all the way down to nines is that's that's a lot. But I mean, hey, you know, there's another um but what's just as crazy looking at track and field this past season is Devin Brack, the freshman out of Los Alamitos. He started the year, he ran I think it was the Long Beach Invitational at Long Beach Poly where he ran 11-6. He ran a 10-3-5 in the divisional championship and ran I think a 10-4-5. At the Masters meet. So that's crazy for a freshman A to run that fast, but a freshman to go from 11-6 in February to May running an, a 10-3-5 is insane. I mean, 10-3-5, he's a freshman. Um, he could be breaking 10 by the time he gets to his senior year. That that could legitimately be a kid that ends up being in the nine-somethings uh, by his uh, junior year. So that's wild. So it's been a wild, wild track and field season with a lot of really good times. I mean, you saw with the Masters and the divisional meet, you know, a bunch of guys are running under 10-4, which usually there's one guy, there's one athlete that gets in the 100 meters below 10-4, uh, maybe two. But here, you know, you've seen several this season break that 10-4 range. So uh, pretty exciting for the future of track and field in Southern California. Yeah, definitely some speed coming up in uh, Southern California. Would you consider Roderick a must-get? Ooh, that's a good question. No, it is. I don't okay. think he's a must-get. I, I, okay. I don't. I, I think he's a must-get maybe for the track team. Uh, okay. I think he's a great get for football and track. But a must-get, I think there's a good group of cornerbacks that are available in this class. Dante Williams is going to, we always talk about this with Dante Williams and elite recruiters, cultivate multiple good options. And he's going to have some good cornerbacks even from out of state coming in. Now, what chance USC, what shot they have at some of those players remains to be determined. But I wouldn't say that's a position where it's Roderick Pleasant or bust. And that really is where it's a necessity. It's a need. I think that they could miss out on him and be okay still. So, no, to answer your question. All right. Fair enough. Just sometimes I pepper you with these random questions. 
out of they nowhere. Are still they are still recruiting him hard, though. I, I, yes, I, yes. I, I don't, I don't, because let's not get some, that twisted. Let's not get that twisted. Yeah, there's been some talk that you know USC. Oh, they're not really on him as much. And I, I saw some people. Oh, he's just going to go to Oregon. Oregon has done a really good job, Sarah. We talked about that in the war room, and I think we talked about that last weekend. That's been something that I've noticed, even with Jason Mitchell. Um, talked to Dakota Fields, the other cornerback who's a 2024 athlete that USC has offered a scholarship to. Both of those guys talked up Demetrius Martin and talked up how much Oregon is recruiting them. So Oregon's making a big push into Sarah for sure. Um, but USC, when it comes to Roderick Pleasant, there is something to note. He made the USC spring game, whereas Jason Mitchell and Dakota Fields went to Oregon. So yeah, USC still recruiting Roderick Pleasant very hard. And not only is it the football coaches, but it's also the track team. I think this is a good point, Hurricane, where we take a quick uh, break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about something bigger than USC recruiting. We're going to talk about overall recruiting. We're going to talk about Saban versus Jimbo. And then we got a bunch of questions to get through. So does that sound good? Yeah, I thought we were going to talk about your tattoo, but yeah, that sounds better. Okay, okay. Okay, n nice little dig there, Hurricane, but we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Gerard, how was that break? It was fantastic. But who's our sponsor this week? Is it Trader Joe's or is it someone else? It's no one. It's just a break. It's just a break. Why can't we get Trader Joe's to give us a little love and we'll give them a little love? Because, you know, I want to go back to Trader Joe's and I want to buy some more. You're some giving them love right now. I know, and we're not getting paid for it. But this is just, you know, this is just off the cuff. We could 
do more. This is a popular podcast from what I understand. And it's two hours. You know how many commercials we could fit in two hours? <laughs> he, Gerard, you're ready to sell out. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize you were such a sellout. Look, I'm big team sellout. And I didn't realize I was talking to a fellow sellout boy over here. The hurricane wants to cash in. That, that's what it sounds like. That's not, well, I mean, shoot, this is not even a premium podcast, which I don't totally agree with. I think I'm going to pitch the idea right now. Maybe Live we make an show. hour, maybe Live we make an show. hour free and then we make the second hour premium. Ooh. How, the, how the heck would that work? I don't know. <laughs> so you're talking about after everything I'm an after the break? Guy. I'm not a everything, guy. everything after the break, you need to enter a code. Is that what you're saying? That'd be cool, but I don't think that's, I don't think that exists. Right. Yeah, that that would uh, there'd be a, a new meaning to CT with that one, I think. Right. I don't even get that joke. I just agree with you because I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea what you just said. Well, keep um, it PG thirteen and keep it moving. Let's go, Chris. What do we have next on the docket for the two star? Well, you well we have on here Saban versus Jimbo, the two recruiting titans. Obviously, got in a little bit, not a little bit, a lot of bit of a public. Uh, uh, scuffle in the media started by Saban asked about NIL had some, had some, had some quotes. So I have, I threw some quotes up here that we can read, but do you want to do the Saban impression or the Jimbo impression? <laughs> I I'm can't not, really do either. Impression. I think, I think, I, I think you could do Jimbo. I think you, you think could I do could? Jimbo. Oh, I think you could do Jimbo. You tempted me. I don't want to, I don't want to piss off Texas A&M fans. I don't want to be, they don't no. listen to this. <laughs> so okay, so this so this is what Fisher this is what you have down as Fisher saying I'm trusting. Well, well, I well I have to go first because I'm saving and I threw out the first punches. You did. You so did I'm go- so- on a panel full of people. You called out without naming names Texas A and M. All right, let's see. Let's I'm, I'm gonna read these two quotes because he called out A and M and he also called out Jackson State. So. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do these as my Saban impression. It's gonna be terrible, but let's just, let's just go with it. Yes, and then I want, call out my name. I, I thought, I thought that he, I thought he went around that, but he, he did in this quote actually, I, I thought he didn't actually say Texas A&M, but <laughs> I guess he did, huh? <laughs> no, he, he went full, full little scorched earth on it. So let's just do the Saban impression. You're gonna get your reaction to my Saban impression, and then we're gonna go to your, your Jimbo Fisher. I have your two quotes up there, but here we go. We were, we were second in recruiting last year. Avion was first. Avion bought every player on their team, made a deal for them, name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player. I don't know where we're going able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. Read about it in the paper. Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year, and that was a really good Division One player to come to the school. And they bragged about it. Nobody did anything. These guys in Miami that are going to play basketball for $400,000, it's in the newspaper. The guy tells you how he's doing, but the NCAA can't enforce the rules because it's not against the law. Okay, I like it. There was a little shoo, a little shoo, shoo thing going there. Yeah, yeah. And he shrugs all the time. You know, he does shrug all the time. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know that it's true or not, but uh, everybody's going to read it and they're going to love it. So, yeah. Okay. All right. I feel you. I feel you. There, right. was a, there was a little something there. Yeah, it was a little, it was, it's a little more subtle than like a Jimbo. It's like a... I was kind of channeling that famous quote after the game, like, don't ask me about it. I'm not going to do it or whatever that, that was, but I don't even know. I don't even know where Saban's from. Like, like if he's a Texas guy or anything, I have no idea, but I thought he was from like Ohio or something. 
that sounds right. Hold on. I want to I want to check it real first. You can warm up your vocal cords. Not no, not comments. I just want. See, uh, the problem is, you want to go into like the character of Fisher to do Fisher. Yeah, and get I, get in the character of Fisher. Yeah, I. I He's I, from I, West Virginia. I don't want to be offensive. I'm not trying to. Offend. Why Why would that be offensive? Because <laughs> I'm not from West Virginia. Jimbo's not from West Virginia. Saban's from West Virginia. Oh, Seth, Saban's from West Virginia. Really? Okay. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, Jimbo is from. Where's he from? He is from. Oh, they're both from West Virginia. That's weird. Okay. Oh wow. Wow. Well, you know, yeah. You know, there's uh, a joke that I won't gonna... even say it. I won't even say. I won't even go there. No, I don't want to have to cut anything. We're not All be right. Offensive. Okay, 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 Jimbo, Jimbo Gerard Hurricane, you're, you're wait, wait, up. Listen, 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 listen. Some people think they're God. Okay, go dig into how God got his deal. You may find out that a lot of things that you don't want to know. We built enough to be the Czar of football. Go dig into the past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out. I know the guy. I know him really well. It's amazing that we're allowed to do those things. We were second in recruiting last year. AM. That's my quote. Oh, I'm, I'm reading. That's my quote. <laughs> I'm reading the savings thing. My bad. Sorry. That was really good. That was a not terrible Jimbo impression. You could, probably could have gone a little more. You could, probably could have pushed the the I Jimbo. Could have gone harder on it. Yeah. I, it's it's one of those things that I got to. I could do. I, I'm actually, you know, with gaming. Uh, I I kind of do impressions of people. I get like we talk. All the time in multiplayer sure, games, sure. I and you, get it. And you and you play with people in raids and things, and people come and go because you're you know you're LFG, right? You're looking for games. You got to get people in raids and stuff, and they're just random people, and it's always a weird thing because you get weirdo cough syrup kids that think they're amazing at games and they're going to be the next big summit streamer, and then you get you know older guys that are playing games and stuff, and there's there's so many characters, and so yeah, I kind of um, sometimes I pick up on you know people, but I got to listen to them enough. And they're, and they're the things they say and the words that they use and what have you. I haven't listened a whole lot to Jimbo Fisher, um, other than his, his tirade uh, about Nick Saban, which was pretty amazing. It was pretty entertaining. Yeah. It was definitely like a, a thing you saw that everyone was definitely watching. And I know people were like, going at Lincoln Riley like just a couple weeks earlier, but just felt like Lincoln was like so off the radar. He was probably like, yes, yes. Cause, cause those comments came out Thursday, didn't they? Or they come out, came out Wednesday. So not a lot of people were really like bashing USC and Lincoln Riley for the whole Jordan Addison thing. Everyone was just so focused on Saban's comments. And then Jimbo was like, no, I'm doing a press conference tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, 10 I got a press conference you- about this. You mother effers be there. I'm, I'm gonna go in and he just went in and it was just like everyone was watching this thing unfold and it was just like incredible television in that regard. And like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't think we've, I mean, we've seen like coaches trade, digs. like trade yeah. digs. Yes. But this was like two, like Jimbo was like a disciple of Saban to see like your, your, your like disciple just like come at your neck or, or your mentor to come at you like that. And, you know, left him some type of way. And he was like, nah, I got, I got to, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let this go unslighted. Obviously, Saban, it came out that Saban called Fisher, did not pick up. And Lake Kiffin, even he had that, I think Bruce Feldman tweeted that Kiffin said he was like speechless, just kind of watching the Fisher, um, 
the Fisher <laughs> uh, press conference, which says a lot. He wasn't tweetless, though. <laughs> yeah. Lane can be speechless. Lane is not a man of many words sometimes, but he's never yeah. tweetless. He's never tweetless. That's that's a good way of saying it. So, uh, yeah, just like everyone had an opinion on this, and it gave a lot of content for the offseason and gave gave uh, gave rise to the phrase that there is no offseason, you know, in college football. So just built up a lot. Obviously, SEC Media Day is probably going to be crazy. That Texas A&M Alabama game is probably going to be crazy. But I don't know what what was your kind of reaction like looking into these quotes. Obviously, about NIL, something we've talked about, and even Lincoln has commented on uh, earlier this year. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was wild, uh, <laughs> certainly. And uh, you know, didn't Fisher's son get into a fight with the special teams coach at LSU too, or something? Yeah, I believe that it was either his son or like his nephew or something like that yeah he was like yeah i know i remember what you're talking about i don't remember exactly what he did like if he hit hit somebody i'm gonna look it up right now some wild accusations it, it, it you know jimbo's jimbo's an interesting guy you know and part of me is i appreciate him actually speaking sincerely about this and, and talking about things and obviously he didn't straight transparent because he's alluding to a lot of things about Nick Saban's past and mm-hmm. alluding and implying there's been a lot of cheating that's gone on. And the media has built him up to be this God of football, but in truth he's done things maybe uh, as Pat Hayden would say, not the right way. So I mean, that that in itself, it tarnishes Saban a little bit, even though you don't actually have any real allegations. There's nothing here right. specific. Just You're putting something out there, just like the cast, the shade. From somebody that knows him, from somebody uh-huh. that has coached with him, yeah, it, it's a little bit damning. If this was just some other coach that really had no connection to Saban, you'd say whatever. But this is something that, you know, Pete Carroll has been able to stay away from. You know, he's been able to dodge the fray uh, going back and forth with coaches. I mean, Charlie Weiss made up some rumor about him having an affair and that got around into the media and Pete never said anything publicly about it. You know, that was a very personal thing that Charlie Weiss was bringing up and telling other media members. And, you know, Pete just basically said, you know, I'm not going to go there with it. And I, I think Is that the was high road, the best route to take, quite mm-hmm. frankly, and here you can see where Nick Saban is getting frustrated. He feels like, you know, he's losing out uh, in a way competitively, and uh, yeah, he's calling him out as cheaters. Now, the now the interesting thing that I took though um, from Fisher's comments, uh, and I talked about this in the Peristyle a little bit, was somebody did ask him about collectives. He was asked. A few questions by the media. He wasn't going to answer questions. He was literally just going to sit down, say his spiel, have his diatribe, and then walk out. And then somebody was like, oh, questions? And he was like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I'll ask, answer questions. And somebody <laughs> asked him about collectives. And he said he had no idea about collectives. He didn't know how they worked. He didn't know this. He didn't know that. It was completely, you know, he just knows that he has. they haven't broken any rules by the state of Texas, he kept saying. I found it interesting that he was so ignorant about collectives because ignorance is not a defense according to the NCAA. And if you're going to sit there and you're going to say, we haven't done this and we haven't done that, but then also say that you're ignorant of a main facet that is involving recruiting specifically with your school, 
I mean, your school has been one of the schools that has had a public face when it comes to this quote unquote collective within the NIL and recruiting landscape. And you're going to say, I don't know how it works and I don't know anything about it. That's a little scary. That's a little scary. If I'm an Aggie fan, I want my coach to know that, to understand that, to understand how it works. If he's going to get up there and he's going to say, we haven't done anything wrong and we're in the clear. Um, He's basically really saying we haven't done anything wrong to my knowledge. And listen, USC, it was proven that their coaches didn't have any direct knowledge of what was going on with Reggie Bush. That was proven in the the case file. We know that because we covered it and we had the case file and we looked at it. Uh, What happened was it was USC should have known that Todd McNair should have known that Reggie Bush had a relationship with Lloyd Lake and Lloyd Lake was giving him money because Reggie and Todd McNair were so close. That was the NCAA's argument. And that's what they sanctioned USC with. So it wasn't about, you know, Todd McNair, anybody from the school that had given Reggie Bush or his parents any money that was never even up for debate. That was never a part of the case that constantly gets reported. USC paid Reggie Bush. Yeah. That's, that's not even close to what was, was, was accused. And they really had no recruiting accusations. It was all about what Todd McNair should have known Reggie Bush was doing. And that's where the NCAA said that you had a lack of institutional control, uh, from that perspective. And so when it comes to collectives and you're talking about boosters and people that are affiliated with the university, um, indirectly they're not employees obviously but they are affiliated with the university through donorship uh maybe what they're doing you don't know what they're doing yeah that still leaves the door open for the ncaa potentially i mean obviously you know does the ncaa have any teeth anymore that's a whole nother discussion a can of worms but the fact that you have not dotted your eyes and crossed your teeth from that standpoint jimbo you need to get educated on that collective before you hold a press conference and tell everybody we hadn't done anything wrong. Wait, you think he actually doesn't know what a collective is or he's playing dumb? I think he doesn't. I don't think he knows in totality how it works. I Mm. I don't doubt that. I think he knows what a collective is. And yeah, he definitely knows, but he probably understands it differently because of the people involved in the company that's involved. And it's not a generic name such as collective. So, you know, he's not maybe not up to speed on the lingo. um, But I don't think he knows the ins and outs of what's going on and what's happening. I don't think he wants to know. I mean, that's part of the game that, you know, <laughs> that, that schools play with the NCAA and the NCAA plays with schools. I mean, it's sort of that thing that, you know, there's a, there's a buffer there between uh, what happens in the recruiting process and, and what's affiliated with the coaches. And again, this goes back even to Tennessee and Tennessee, the state passing the law that the school university of Tennessee can uh, engage in NIL dealings in terms of arrangement. They can be a part of that conversation. Now, that's against the rules, according to the NCAA, but Tennessee state law, uh, and I, again, I don't, I, I keep remember, forgetting to know whether this passed or not. This is something that's been put in front of them because I think retroactively, Tennessee University wants to cover their butts in case the NCAA comes looking, and then they can have the state sue the NCAA uh, instead of the NCAA going straight up against Tennessee, just the university. Um, so again, this is more of like, you know, what's legal, what, what conversations can happen. 
What can you say about uh, NIL and, and the people that are involved in doing deals, so on and so forth? It's it's really not supposed to be a booster led thing. Um, but you know, boosters are going to get involved because why are they boosters? They're there to boost the football program or the athletic program in general. And so, you know, even if you make this rule that, uh, boosters cannot be involved directly, this, that, and the other, people can create shell companies and they can do all kinds of things to sort of proxy back the football program and NIL. So it, it, again, you know, there's some of this trying to put the genie back in the bottle and you're just not going to do it. Can't put Pandora back in the box. Just another uh, way to phrase that. So anything else you want to do? You want to do another round of quotes? <laughs> no, no. I was just throwing it out there. I was just throwing it out there. No, I almost did your round of quotes. So we almost got another round. I know you see you were eager. You I almost did Saban as Jimbo Fisher. Wow. That's, that's real like tough. That's a double uh, West Virginia accent there. That's like double it, double it down. A lot of shrugging with your hands up. I, yeah. I noticed that with both those guys when they're talking about things that, you know, they're experts on, but don't really know a whole lot about. I don't know. You know, it's a lot of rhetorical questions from Saban. You know, he, he likes to do that, likes to throw it back into the media's lap. Now let's get into listener questions. We didn't do any last week because we only had one and we were really running a little bit long and the question we got would have added at least 30 minutes with Gerard talking about it. So, we saved it for this week. We have some time, so let's get to those. And again, if you want to ask us a question, answer on this pod, you can uh, hit us up at podcast at uscfootball.com. Email us, you know, have it as uh, Composite Two Star Recruits, Chris and Gerard, those Latino guys. Anything you want to tag us as, you can do it as Hurricane, uh, Jimbo, and Saban, whatever you want. Just, just identify us and we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Trout, are you ready? Or is there anything else you want to hit on before we jump into these? Well, we were coming away from talking about NIL and, uh, just a, a news note. We won't get too far into it. We talked about it last weekend, but the CA bill SB 1401 failed. So the bill that we were talking about where college athletes were going to get $25,000, uh, in revenue share and a 50 percent split between the university and the athlete and that sport um we talked again about it uh more in depth last week i won't rehash it uh but that has failed so uh probably good news certainly good news for the olympic sports and you know the 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 smaller schools and uh, probably a lot of people you could argue that hey it would have been great for just usc football because then you would have been paying players directly but again in the grand scheme of thing of college football I think universities want to stay away from paying players for a bunch of reasons. But, again, I won't go into that. But just to note, uh, coming away from the NIL, Saban versus Fisher talk, that bill has failed. The bill is dead, Gerard. The bill is dead. For now, at least. For now, at least. Okay, that's fine. Okay. So now we can move into those questions again. Podcast at uscfootball.com. Hit us up. Ask us something. Whatever you want. doesn't have to be uscfootball-related. Uh, cause I personally like to answer some fun ones, but Gerard, let's get into a Twitter one from at Johnny five. Will USC end up with three top 100 wide receiver commits for this upcoming recruiting class? And would you over under at 9.5 wins for USC this season? So a little two parter. I would take the under. 
for 9.5? Uh, I don't know. That's so tough. I, I feel like if I'm being conservative, I would take the under. Cause I think they'll at least get nine. Yeah, nine five is, is hard to bet on. Um, I would agree with you. I, I'm more of that. You know, I'm conservative in my predictions all the time just because I'm not a hype man. I don't like raising expectations. I would say seven, eight wins is more where it is. I know you can look at the, the schedule and say, oh, my gosh, how how are you going to lose that many games? But we say that every friggin' year. <laughs> USC won four games last year. Uh Yeah, I would say that's a little high. So I'd say the under on that. And three top 100 wide receivers? Well, what you do you think? Got, I, I think I mean, yes. <laughs> Cause you know. I, yeah, I would say yes. You have two already. You just need one more. I don't think. And as, as the staff has shown, getting wide receivers and pass catchers, not an issue. Yeah, and, there's semantics there, though, because obviously Makai Lemon is rated right now as an athlete. So are you talking about in addition to him, two more, in addition to Zach Branch, or are we included Lemon? In that, I assume we're including. I, I'm including that. lemon in that, obviously, yeah. for me, yes. So yeah. I would say yes. And if they get Deuce Robinson and nothing else, I'm going to count him as a wide receiver, even though we talked about he's a tight end. I don't care; he's a pass catcher. That's three top 100. That's three five star pass catchers. I will count that. Well, DeAndre Moore as well is there, and is he in the top 100? I think he is in the top 100. Well, uh, then there you go. Then I would say yes. DeAndre Moore, I don't know composite-wise what he's ranked because right now it's an N.A. across the board for some reason. But uh, That happens 24-7 sports right now, he's ranked number 47 nationally. Well, there you go. Then I would say yes. Yeah. I would say and, yes. And they'll have a shot at some other guys that will take visits. And, you know, all of this is always weighed upon what they do during the season, so on and so forth. But, yeah, for sure. Um, even Brandon Enos, I mean, he's supposed to be out here this weekend. Uh, he'll probably take an unofficial visit to USC. And so they're still in it with him. I think they have sort of faded a little bit with him, um, but probably still top three for sure. And so, yeah, you, you definitely got a potential at, at three uh, top 100 receivers. Next question. Hi, Chris and Gerald. You can call me Trojan Sejai. Seji? Trojan Seji? I hope I said that right. Very big fan of your show. The question would be, why are we not recruiting O-line Jalen Jeffers? and O-line Jonathan Dennis, who transferred out of Oregon. Why aren't we recruiting the linebackers from modern day, four-star Trey Edwards and four-star Leviticus Sua? No, no offer yet for Bosco's three-star offensive tackle Raymond Polito. These are talents and position of need that can really help our team. Hoping that Gavin Forsha or Carbon Tabarucci is or are committed by the time you're able to read this. Thank you and fight on. I mean, I'm sad to say, uh, Trojan Seji, that Gavin Forsha and Tabarucci are not committed. Well, one is committed, but not to USC. So, unfortunately, that has not happened. Um, as far as the high school guys, Tradwords seemed to be a big priority for the last staff, but that has definitely cooled off significantly for this staff. I think uh, Leviticus was also sort of a guy that the old staff was looking at. Doesn't seem that way uh, for this new staff, obviously we talked about Tackett Curtis, uh, Anthony Hill kind of being the top, top guys and Polito, Polito, I think it's Polito. Uh, he just got to Bosco. I saw him at the, the, the showcase they had big upper body, strong guy. Um, I think that's sort of just a situation where they'll just kind of wait and see 
You know, he's coming from a smaller school, jumping into the Trinity League, and if he holds his own, I think you could see an offer. Uh, but right now, I think it's sort of a wait and see, kind of see what he does. Uh, looks like he's going to play, be a starting tackle for them, and maybe play some inside as well. Haven't really heard anything about those two, the two offensive linemen, uh, Jeffer and De- Dennis out of Oregon. Doesn't seem like they're in the market for those two guys, but things could change, especially when you have your board shifting around a little bit and you need tackle bodies. Yeah, I think you pretty much said it all. Um, tried to, I tried to say it all. Hurricane. I, I, I thought that maybe Jalen Jeffers was already off the board. I think he committed to UCLA. Um, so they're not recruiting him because he's already going somewhere else. Uh, why did they not recruit him harder? I, I can't say. Uh, and, and really, we can't speak for the coaching staff with this kind of stuff mm-hmm. as to why they like certain players other than other players. Um, at Oklahoma, you're forced to have to recruit nationally a little more than probably Southern California. Uh, I think, you know, you're obviously going to have to go to Texas if you're Oklahoma, but you're going to have to go to some other states as well. Whereas I think when you're USC, you can recruit Southern California, but I've said it before. You also have to have coaches on the staff that understand the development process that happens with West Coast kids and how it's different than it is in the South or in Texas and some of these other places where you get a lot more ready-made players that are 18 years old and they're ready to play college football right away. Uh, whereas West Coast, you might get a kid that's really a kid. He's just a high school kid and you've got to put the weight on him and you got to develop him. But by the time he's graduating, he's right up there with those other players, if not better. So. That's going to be interesting to see with this staff coming from Oklahoma and their mentality. Uh, certainly, you know, you mentioned it at the linebacker position with Anthony Hill and Tackett Curtis being their number one guys. It's great, but you know, how much, how many eggs do you really want to put in that basket? You know, you, you have to be careful and not necessarily say, okay, we're just going to recruit those guys and we're going to ignore the other players that might be local. Um, and you let other schools kind of get the 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 advantage on you during that time because you've been focused on these out-of-state guys so much. I mean, you've got Victory Johnson, uh, you got Leona uh, Lifu, um, you've got um, uh, guys like Trey Edwards, who I, I understand Trey Edwards, I think from a, a schematic standpoint, he probably is not the greatest fit because he's just not a very fast linebacker, but like Nicholson's a guy who had an uh, offer from USC, and uh, I think he's got all of his official visits set, and USC's not one of them. So there's some local players that USC's clearly not as high on, and it's understandable because, you know, their national rankings are not as high, um, but nevertheless, you know, know, do you really think you're going to get Anthony Hill? You know, do you really think you get Tackett Curtis? I mean, Reed is a very important thing. It's a very important aspect of recruiting. Uh, to know where you actually sit with these players. And I think right now most people think Tackett Curtis goes to Ohio State, and most people think Anthony Hill goes to Texas A&M or Texas or, or maybe even Oklahoma, one of those schools closer to home. So, yeah, uh, it's a little bit of a gamble to to, to go national. Um, certainly a lot of it has to do with the production on the field as well. USC was a national recruiting power when Pete Carroll was there because they were winning you know, 10, 11 games every season. Uh, whereas uh, USC hasn't been that, and it would be a lot to expect them to be that next season. I, again, I know, hey, they got you know Jordan Addison. Oh, my God, they're going to get 10, 11 wins next season. But I just think that that's not necessarily a realistic expectation. I, I think you're talking about a team that won four games last year. You've got a mercenary roster 
with a lot of guys that have to come together and have to get on the same page. And they've done a good job of that thus far. Uh, watching the spring game, I think it was extremely well run. And I think um, one of the big takeaways, and we talked about this, you know, after the spring game was the fact that they didn't have a lot of penalties. They didn't have a lot of turnovers. And you could have seen that and you could have rationalized that just with how many transfers they had. You had literally guys that had been on campus for just a couple months. Um, so they've done a very good job, uh, particularly on offense, getting everybody on the same page and working together. Uh, but you're going to have to see that continuation. And certainly, you know, spring game is not necessarily a real game. There's a lot of scripting going on, on there. And so we're just going to have to see when the bullets fly and, you know, when they play not so much Rice but Stanford, you're going to see uh, where this team is. And, and, and it's going to be an early call for them in terms of, what their potential ultimately is because we saw last season, you know, early on that despite being a team that had decent talent and uh, experience at quarterback and some stability there with the coaching staff uh, and it fell apart really early. And that's what got Clay Helton fired. Fired guy office reference for anyone that watches that show moving on from, I got a, DM from on Twitter. You can also submit questions there. Just hit me up. My DMs are open. Gerard's are not open. So don't even try with him. For the two stars from Vagabond Trojan, with all the tracking you have done on high school recruits, can you help me figure out any players who went on a Latter-day Saints mission and returned of a highly successful college careers? I can't think of any. I remember Taylor Katoto was highly rated and Ben Olsen, et cetera, but I can't think of any four or five star guys who left came back and were All-American level players. So I'm generally pessimistic on, on of these recruits uh, from Vagabond Trojan. This is an interesting question that I, I got, and I, I wish I did a little more research going into it, but I kind of want to just answer it on the spot. Obviously, I haven't recruited – I have sorry, I haven't recruited. I haven't covered recruiting – recruits that have taken missions that, that – uh, I haven't recruited that many recruits that have taken missions like that in the course of my 247 career. Cattell was a big one, obviously, but I, I, he was like a three-star prospect, and that's not really what Vegabon is looking for. I think, like, the biggest one that I can remember is Tanner McKee, uh, quarterback at a, a Corona Centennial. He was highly rated, took that mission, came back, and he's, you know, playing pretty well at Stanford or at least made made some significant plays in his first season as a starter. Seems like he's moving towards being, you know, maybe – one of the top guys in the Pac-12 this year. This could be a breakout season for him. So that's like the first one that comes to mind. Uh, Brady Christensen, the, BY, the big BYU offensive tackle, he just sort of murdered uh, USC when they when they played him, what was that, 2019, uh, when USC came to town. I believe he ended up being a third-round a third round pick uh, a couple years later. He took a mission. Uh, so there are guys, but... And, and obviously, if he was he was a third round pick. He had he had a successful college career. I think Tanner McKee is the best chance to maybe maybe be an All American if he has a huge season. But I, I no one off the top of my head. Gerard probably has a better answer for you. No, I really don't. I mean, for USC, there really hasn't been any. And if we're just looking through that prism, like you said, there's not a lot of players that USC has recruited over the years that have gone on missions. So it's a pretty small pool, um, but none of those guys have been really great players. The only guy that I can remember off the top of my head that went on a mission, but he was recruited after his mission, was Loni Fangupo, 
And Lonnie Fangupa was a defensive tackle out of Mount Sac, and he'd taken his mission uh, from out of high school and then went to Mount Sac and then was recruited by USC. And he was pretty good for USC. I think he broke his leg and ended up transferring out of USC uh, later, but he had like two good seasons for USC. Um, but within that sort of modern college football time frame for just USC, I can't really remember anybody off the top of my head. Now, if you're opening it up to football in general, then I'm sure there's been plenty. You know, I just yeah, I think I don't think it, I think it was specifically for USC players, but I think it was just in general. I'm sure there's been plenty. I mean, one guy that comes to mind, Luke Staley, was a really good running back at BYU. I, I don't remember if he took his mission or not, but I would assume he took his mission. Um, but I don't even know if he was LDS. But there's players that have gone to BYU and been successful, and certainly some of those players have been uh, have been Mormon and taken their missions and then gone on and gone on to the NFL. I, I just – we don't cover those guys, you know, to be honest with you. So um, I know with Pete Carroll it was discouraged. For guys to take their mission, Stanley Havili, there were several players that had that potential to take a mission, and they came to USC to, to go to college and, and play football. And so they ended up not going on their mission. I remember the whole debate about Manti Tail taking a mission out of high school and having a conversation with a couple USC coaches about that and them laughing out loud and saying, this dude is not going to go on a Mormon mission. Like all this talk about religion and faith and this stuff, eh, 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 eh. like that's not the Manti tale. We know he's going to college to play football. And, and and he did. You know, he talked a lot about potentially taking a mission out of high school when he was a recruit. But when he was uh, behind the closed doors, evidently talking with uh, college coaches, he, he certainly wasn't going to take a mission. So, you know, with USC, it's been more or less discouraged in the past. I think with Clay Helton, that made him in the first coach that was more open to it. And, uh, and we saw a, a couple players potentially uh, going on missions. And we saw with Taylor Kota, that was one guy that actually took a mission and came back to USC. Um, but in terms of like, yeah, the contributions from those players, you know, you have a whole system going on, I think at BYU and they're just, they have so many players do it. It's just part of the program. And that's not part of the program at USC, whether you have kids do it or not. It's just not part of the program and, and, and how it goes. And, you know, the communication that goes on with those players overseas. I, I mean, yeah, it, it's just something that I think most schools are, are not equipped to do. Uh, whereas BYU does it. It's just ingrained in part of the university. It's part of the process of going to BYU. I just want to say I was correct with my Brady Christensen pick. He went on to be a consensus All-American. So there you go. That's my that's my pick. Brady what about Christensen. Luke Staley? Was he? Um, I don't know if he went on. The thing is, I'm not 100 percent sure he went on a mission. I think he was. Are you like saying Oregon. Luke? Luke Staley. Yeah, he's a running back. He was really good uh, at uh, at BYU. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be honest. I thought you said Deuce Staley. No, no, we don't Deuce is uh, not Mormon, but I think Luke Staley came out and I, w I think he went on a mission and he went to BYU and he was a really good running back and um, got drafted pretty high and then had a knee injury. And I think that ended his career. But I don't know, for whatever reason, that <laughs> was only one of the first guys that just came to mind. You just asked me off the cuff about random players over the years. And I, I mean, that are Mormon 
uh, faith, I don't remember them all. He did become a, a All-American. Yeah, yeah, he was good at BYU. I just don't remember if he actually took his Mormon mission. He, he won went to the, BYU, he though. He won so the I, Doe Walker. I assume that. I assume that he did take his mission before he actually went to BYU. Because I, I, I think he was LDS, and that would be a rare thing to go to BYU, be LDS, and not take a mission. I, I, I That's a question in and of itself. How many players have done that? Have any players done that? But again, I don't cover BYU, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really seeing if he – it looks like maybe he did. I don't know. It doesn't say, like, right off the bat in his Wikipedia, but I, 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 I can't – Get into it right now, but let's assume that he did. Yeah. Let's assume that he did. Oh, Luke Staley is my, my pick. <laughs> let's see. Another one. Uh, hi, Chris and Gerard. Gerard and Chris. Uh, I think this is from uh, Joan. Yeah, Joan Levis. Hi, Gerard and Chris. Low leg committed to, you, to Louisville. Very strange. I would think playing for Coach Nua and Coach Grinch would be enticing enough for his future prospects to be developed. Louisville isn't a bastion of future NFL draft picks. Good use of the word bastion. Was this a collective commit, quote-unquote, or what were you hearing? Love this podcast. You guys rock. Thanks, Joan. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. The Hurricane appreciates it. Um, Lola to Louisville was obviously an interesting one. Louisville has really turned it up. In terms of recruiting the the West Coast, and you know, I've heard NIL is a big uh, factor for them, and they they're they're working it really well. So obviously, I think that that has played a part. But obviously, we we've talked about how there was sort of a snag with USC and Lole in terms of you know this whole academic question, and was it sort of uh, the ultimate reason why USC couldn't push as hard or, you know, lock this thing up early. So, you know, I think, I don't know if it was a collective, but I certainly think that NFL, NIL did did sort of play a part in this, as I've heard that the Cardinal are, are working NIL to their advantage to, to recruit. Yeah, I think you covered it. I, I think grades uh, were a big question with him. I wanted to see if he was going to take, those visits to Oregon and or Florida, particularly Florida. Um, and it doesn't look like he's going to, uh, committed to Louisville. That was his first visit that was scheduled. So he, he didn't waste any time. He's like, I'm going what, to Louisville. So what if he just I, committed I to every visit here on after? What was that? What if he just committed to every, on every visit he took? Yeah, I don't, I was going to say, I don't know if, if that means that he's not taking any more visits or, I would assume that, you know, he's a transfer, but you never know. I mean, he could pop up on somebody else's campus, I guess, uh, uh, still. Um, we'll have to see. You'd, we'll have to follow, you know, Louisville and see if they've officially announced him or what have you, because then you would know that he's actually, um, I don't know, signed financial paperwork or whatever happens with, with the transfers that they can officially acknowledge them. Um, but that was a big question with that and, and, um, it didn't sound like he was going to get an official visit with USC. That that was basically implied, and and none of my sources were very optimistic about him. And uh, I I think you know a, a lot of it had to do with grades. But again, I mean these are colleges. 
and this is a guy transferring from a college, if he's able to get in to Louisville, kind of hard to figure out why he wouldn't be able to get in at USC. You know, there, there, there are some things, uh, class wise that are required. Uh, potentially maybe there's a class or something there that he's failed or hasn't had. And I think something else that I mentioned in the war room, which we have to remember, and I forget sometimes is that USC does not accept uh, anyone enrolling who had a D or an F the previous semester to enroll. So, you know, you, you, doesn't matter what your grade point average is and whatever. If you fail a class, uh, the spring, uh, before you're going to enroll at USC, um, you, you're off the table. That's just a, it's just a school policy. So there could be something with that. We know that, you know, his father and his brother passed away from COVID, unfortunately, and he missed a lot of time. Um, there are waivers you can get, grievance waivers you can get for missing time in college. Cause you know, your clock and everything is continually running normally as you're an athlete, whether you're hurt, whether, you know, even if you transfer out and go to JUCO, it's still going your eligibility clock. And so you can get a grievance waiver of some sort, uh, for things. And from my, to my knowledge, that never happened at ASU. They never got that. So, um, you know, I mentioned this also in the war room that potentially these schools were angling and from a compliance standpoint, they knew something that maybe USC didn't. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's just one of those things that we just have to see what happens in terms of his enrollment at, uh, at Louisville. And, um, you know, if he's able to get in Louisville again, obviously people are going to say, well, you know what, why couldn't other schools recruit him? Gerard, just to sort of maybe like, uh, just hold on one second. One second. I'm trying to get this news. We have a emoji pop up in the course of you answering that question. This is the first time this has happened while we're recording this podcast. I don't really have a reaction for you in terms of like, I don't, I don't, I don't really know why I did that, but I just want to let you know that there was a emoji that has popped up. I know you're, you're very anti emoji. Well, yeah, I don't know what you did either because we're, we're, we're doing this on a Wednesday and it's not going to go up until Thursday. So. <laughs> I just wanted Other to get to it say, out. Oh, just, an emoji. <laughs> I know a lot of people freak out about like, oh, you just did something that's not going to be up to Thursday. I don't care. I don't really care. I don't think that's a big deal. I just wanted, I just wanted to do that in the moment that this is the first time an emoji has popped up while we're recruiting. We're doing a recruiting podcast. So I just wanted to get that out there. So let's move out to the next question. And if something happens in the next five minutes, we're going to know about it. Uh, it's going to be a Tabarucci. It might be a Tabarucci. It's going to age really well, so I hope it's a Tabarucci. Chris and Gerard, this comes from Eric in Duck Country. Gerard always talks about brick-and-mortar players on a roster. Will the transfer portal make it harder to have a roster with mortar players that are good enough to push the starters but not good enough for meaningful playing time? If a brick-and-mortar roster is not possible, will we see a decline in the quality of play? Thanks. That's an interesting question. Um, if it went the way it's going now in terms of the amount of players that USC is recruiting from the portal, yeah, I would say so. But I don't think this is long-term, A, going to be sustainable just for college football, uh, but not for USC, and I don't think it's necessarily what they want to do either. I think they want for the 2023 class to have a very good high school football class. They didn't have a 2022 class. They had Relief Brown, C.J. Williams, and a couple other guys. That's not really 
a class that, you know, you, you can, you can build on. So I think in the future, they're going to have more that will be invested into the high school players. And from that standpoint, that's where you see the development and that's where you have to get guys where you feel they plug in. Transfers want to come in. They want to play. It's hard to get role players as transfers. It's very difficult. Maybe they turn into that, but they certainly aren't looking at your school to be role players. And so, yeah, if, if, you know, the mercenary type depth charts and, and rosters continued to, to be how USC recruited and how they built their roster going forward, you know, as long as Lincoln Riley was there. Yeah. I would say that it'd be harder to get that, but I don't think that's necessarily the, uh, the future plans. I don't think that that's what they want to do. And again, I don't think it's necessarily sustainable to college football. And we're going to see some restrictions and some things done to probably um, temper the amount of transfers and uh, just the, the nature of the process right now, which seems to be a little helter-skelter. Uh, D from Central California. On a recent podcast, the great GM mentioned that he expected several commitments to come from the June event. These are my predictions. Please give, please give your opinions and please also give us some predictions. Thank you. Uh, his, his predictions are Cade, Eldridge, Deuce Robinson, Elijah Page, Malachi Crawford, and Amos Talele. I don't hate that list. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that right now. That's a very, uh, that's a very doable list. Yeah, that is actually, I, I was wait, I was looking at it and thinking like that could, that could be a very reasonable list. Um, I like all those guys on there. Deuce maybe a little, little too wishful just because of his, uh, his, his status as a five star, but there is crystal balls in. There is a crystal ball that came in for Kate Eldridge, uh, this week. I've been really high on Malachi Crawford and Elijah Page as being, you know, guys that would jump on USC, uh, assuming, you know, there's green lights and I'm, I think there is. And then Amos is the only one I don't have the best read on, but he is a local kid. And it seems like they've been recruiting him hard. I would not be shocked if he went and, you know, pulled the trigger on a commitment. So I actually like that list. I don't think I would really add anything to that. Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of predictions, you never really know um, how things are going to play out. But I think that's a reasonable list and a reasonable group um, of predictions. And now, you know, if you're asking, are they going – commit publicly right afterwards you know <laughs> that Sunday or the next week I, I I would say no probably not you're not going to see all those commits you know that week they'd probably be st- spread out over the summer um we'll see what Deuce Robinson wants to do uh in terms of uh his decision timeline if it moves um you know I think Malachi Crawford Probably wants to get it done over the summer again, although, you know, he made that commitment early to UCLA. So he's been a bit gun shy about, you know, kind of putting down set dates and what have you. And we really don't know a lot about Amos Talele. We know that he's going to take that official visit to Washington the 24th, uh, the last weekend. So that'll be something to work, you know, watch out for in terms of how hard USC is recruiting him versus how hard Washington is recruiting him. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I, I think just in terms of, uh, the pool of talent there and guys that USC has a reasonable shot at, um, even with the five-star Deuce Robinson there, I think that they're the lead school for him. I think that's a decent list. Um, Kate Eldridge, it looks like he's being recruited as a tight end. Um, he, he seems to have a really good relationship with Zach Hansen. It seems like there's 
Uh, been some really good recruiting done there. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting one. You know, that's a 6'4", 235 pound athlete. You know, he's rated as an athlete. And so, you know, it's just a big body that you can kind of bring in. And, um, he has a couple other official visits. I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, those other schools that he's going to. Uh, but, uh, seems like USC's, uh, in a pretty good place with him. All well said, Gerard. We have two questions left. This one kind of touches on the, the legislation that we kind of talked about earlier. Uh, this comes from Alex. First of all, as a college football fan, I love Gerard's honesty and Chris's funny, colorful comments. Love the show. Thank you very much for that, Alex. In regard to the CA legislation to pay college players, if USC is smart, they will use it as a selling point to attract kids that otherwise would go to Alabama, Ohio State, or Notre Dame. This potential law will make it, would also make it less likely for the players to transfer out. Think of it as golden handcuffs or not yet vested retirement account that they would lose by transferring out. Finally, this new law will not change the not-for-profit status of the universities. Universities have always had high-earning employees. Top Top doctors at these universities earn millions of dollars, not to mention coaches. Finally, finally, sports are so lucrative for all parties. No big-time program would ever go way of the Ivy League. No, would never go the way of the Ivy League. Sorry, I said that weird. USC football program is an asset worth at least as much as the Clippers. Fight on, Alex. A lot in there, Gerard. Anything you want to jump on or address? Well, that bill, as we uh, talked about earlier, failed. So Okay, so moving on. A no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a little bit of a moot point. Uh He's selling it, and and really the only thing I think out of there that you can argue is that potentially it would be good for USC, at least initially, to be able to say, hey, we're going to give you $25,000 guaranteed, and we're going to put money away for you in a fund, which could end up being you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on top of the ability to have a great NIL platform in Los Angeles. But if this passed, you know, other schools will do it and they'll probably pay more money to kids. It, it, it'll be an arms race. And again, it probably would see uh, the universities, a lot of them not be able to pay um, the amount of kids. You're talking about very few professors at universities that are making millions of dollars and, and, and are, are anywhere near that amount of salary. Uh, you're talking about, you know, 85 football players. Um, and then you're talking about, cutting in half uh the revenue share for all the athletes in all the sports and that is going to ultimately kill the smaller sports because there's just you know that money right now it's used by the schools to hand it out and to say okay we're going to put it here we're going to put it there that money now goes to uh or at least you know half of that money is not going to the athlete and the athlete's not going to say hey oh yeah i want to you know give some money to the girls uh tennis team so yeah, there's there's a lot of issues with it, even with the 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 putting it into some type of fund, and they've got to graduate um, within six years. I, I, I like it at face value. Uh, it's it's a nice i uh, ideology type of sort of uh, wrapped uh, thought, but at the end of the day, you're giving incentive for the universities to potentially try to block athletes from graduating because they're going to get all that money. And I don't like the thought of that. So eh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pitfalls with it. And obviously it didn't, it didn't pass. So it is a moot point. It, it may be come up again. It'll be, 
change the bid and, you know, they'll change the name and they'll do this and that. And then, uh, you know, come across again. Uh, I think ultimately you just don't want the universities paying the athletes directly. I, I think that's what everybody continues to try to stay away from. They feel like NIL um, can, can do that for the players that really would be making earnings. Uh, but certainly there's still the question of collective bargaining uh, in the, in the perspective or side of the players and whether they're getting TV money and merchandise money and video game money and all that kind of stuff that goes out further than just one individual player. It's, it's, you know, all the players of college football and you're using likeness of, of, you know, a bunch of different players and names and et cetera. Uh, from that standpoint, you know, who steps up and who is um, going to negotiate for the players. So that's still a question um, that obviously uh, will not be answered right away. And, and it's going to come to a head when um, EA decides to put out their video game, uh, which I think EA's, um, I think they're having some licensing issues from what I'm hearing in the background that there's some, um, it's not as easy it was the first time going to the NCAA, throwing a bunch of money at NCAA to get an exclusive license. They're having to deal with multiple parties now and, and entities and things. And so that, that that's going to be interesting to see if those type of deals can happen. Um, or do you have to go the generic route and hope you don't get sued? Very well put, Gerard, and a probably devastating update for all the uh, EA fans that are excited for the NCAA game, like myself, so I don't like that. I, I always like say that. when it comes to anything EA these days, temper your enthusiasm, first and foremost, because sure, sure. a good video game in such a long time. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's, you know, it could potentially be great, you know, and it could be much more uh, realistic. In ways, um, I, I would really like to see EA not get exclusive licenses to do it. Uh, I, I mean, it'd be much better if there was competition in that uh, genre of video games because EA tends to have exclusive licenses for a lot of these sports, and they just sit on those exclusive licenses and they just copy and paste their game from year to year to year to year. You know, there's probably four or five years that go by before you see an actual uh, upgrade of mechanics or graphics or anything that's um, really substantial in their games generationally uh, because they have those exclusive licenses and they don't have to do anything with them. They can just sit on them. Um, but we've seen that they've lost some of these licenses over the years. I think they just lost the MLB license. Um, and so there's some more competition potentially that can arise um, through that. Um, or is it FIFA? Maybe it's FIFA that they lost. Um, I can't remember, but there was another sport that they've been big on with their surprise mechanics and their BS, uh, you know, add-ons that they pay, that they charge a, a arm and a limb for. An arm is a limb, so that's kind of saying the same thing. But anyways, I'm rambling. Yeah, uh, I, I, I temper my enthusiasm when it comes to uh, the next college football game that comes out. I would love to see, you know, three different companies be able to put out a product and then see where it goes from there. And hopefully – from a licensing standpoint, you know, they're able to have things that are, that are, if they're not, if you can't make them, um, you know, it's USC or it's this particular player or whatever, make a template for people to be able to modify themselves because that's something that with video games, and I know I'm just talking over a lot of people's heads that don't play video games, but on the subject of that, um, there's a lot of very great games that have had so much longevity because their publishers 
have created a game and allowed modifying tools. You know, you have games like Skyrim and Fallout, uh, Arma, GTA. These games have been around for like 10 years. I mean, freaking Skyrim has got to be uh, 10, at least 10 years, 11 years old at this point. And people are still playing that game because it has great modding tools and they have a modding community of people that actually add to the game themselves. So they put things in themselves. The publisher is not responsible for any of that stuff. Like you can put, you know, freaking, uh, the guy from Assassin's Creed into that game and it, it, it's not on, um, Bethesda, uh, to, to have to pay anybody for that. That, that was just some, you know, person that some amateur who decided to do that and put that in the game. And so maybe something like that comes along if the publishers can't get the actual licenses or you can only get licenses for so many schools and then some schools don't want to, 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 to be a part of it or some players don't want to be part of it, so on and so forth. But I, it's a little more complicated this time around. And again, you know, just like the universities, the game publishers and developers are looking at the bottom line and the margins of it. And they got to start paying people for things. They got less profit there and there's less motivation to do such a thing. So keep that in mind. I do not expect a game rant. Actually, I should have expected the game rant, but I, I'm the one that led you there. So I apologize, Hurricane. We have one final question. Uh, from RGB, this is a question we got last week, but we could not get to it. It's a two-parter, and we're going to end with this. Hi, Kristen Gerard. These questions come from Parasol Poster, Reggie Bush graduates. What are what was a recruiting story that had so many twists and turns that you found yourself so eager to see what happened next that you were almost observing it like a football fan more than a journalist? I'm not going to read the second part there. I just want to get your your instant reaction to that. I know you probably have one. A recruiting story with twists and turns that it was like the Johnny Depp court case. Is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> Way to make a relevant pop culture reference. Which I, culture. I literally have not. I think I've seen a little bit of that. I don't care. Um, Why would you? Why yeah, would you? I, I, I'm not into that type of TMZ stuff. Um, riveted. I mean, I have to. I, I always go back to the Michael Goodson recruitment maybe it was just because it was in my formative years as a journalist but mm-hmm. the fact that um rape allegations got involved and then his father ended up in prison for insurance fraud i think it was <laughs> during the recruitment after the right after the recruitment like literally it was like a month afterwards i think um he got indicted and uh it was as crazy as that. I mean, everything in between. You had a guy that, you know, we thought was going to commit to USC and then ended up committing to Oklahoma State out of nowhere. And then there was all these allegations about, you know, Oklahoma State paying him and this, that, and the other. And then he goes on his official visit to Oklahoma State. And then there's all these allegations of something happening there with a hostess. And then he decommits from – and that was, that was, that was pretty, pretty wild. Pretty wild. Um I'm trying to think if there was any other ones. I don't get wrapped up into it like that. You know, I mean, over the mm-hmm. years, I've become, I've distanced myself more from it. It's just not worth emotionally investing yourself in it. I think even as a fan, you're talking about 17-year-old kids. Look at, they come or they don't. You know, they end up at your school or they don't end up at your school. I, I think it's more about when they get there, what can they do? Um, or if they're committed, what can they do? The, the, the drama and soap opera of recruiting has just become, uh, so 
back and forth and with the wind that you, you, you just get, I think, a little fatigued from it. And I think a lot of writers who have been doing this a long time are sort of of that same ilk, you know, um, unless you're just like connecting yourself to this personally, which you shouldn't. I mean, if you're covering recruiting, then you need to cover the recruiting process and not become a part of it. And I think that's where some people uh, in the industry definitely go awry and they think that they can, you know, become better at scoop and, and news and breaking things by interjecting themselves as a part of the process by befriending parents and everything. You know, you, you, you want to be professional and objective. You can't do that. You've got to take a step back and say, listen, I, I don't care whether I, I like this kid personally or not. I got to look at him as a football player because that is what we were talking about. That's what uscfootball.com is. And that is what the university is getting. And also getting a student athlete. You have to observe that, but that shouldn't, uh, weigh in on how good of a football player they are when you're talking about that from an analysis standpoint. So yeah, um, I, 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 anything recently that has come up, I don't know, Chris, give me some time to think about this. Is there any like soap opera? You're a lot younger. You've been doing this not as long as I have. Maybe you're not as jaded as I am when it comes to following the recruiting process uh, and every individual tweet and every individual Instagram post. Yeah. I'm trying to like, rack my brain as I mean to, like, Caleb Williams was a recent one that was you know kind of like that as well and I got really worn out from it just you know initially yeah that's a good point but I'm thinking more of like a traditional high school sort of commitment or recruitment there isn't really one that sticks out in my head like immediately oh like that's the one I don't I don't really have one like that. I mean, I could name players, but there's nothing that I don't think fits kind of what this, uh, what RGB is looking for or Reggie Bush graduates. Ah, I'm really, I'm really kind of stuck here. I don't really know. I'm trying to think of one. I, I really am, but I just don't. I feel like there I'm was like someone. Through, I'm looking through the commit list right. right now of guys to see, you know, um, I mean, even like, DeAnthony Thomas was was a little strange, but it was kind of more strange at the end than it was, um, you know, initially when he commit. Um, it was pretty straightforward when he commit. Um, I mean, there's so many there's stories about each of these kids. You know, Ryan Henderson, I see here, and thinking back to <laughs> some of the things I heard about him coming out of high. I me- I remember when USC offered both Junior Palme who was a tight end at Rancho Verde High School, and Wyatt Henderson, who was a cornerback at Rancho Verde High School. And this was back when Lane Kiffin was coach. And Monty Kiffin was a defensive coordinator and a safeties coach. Uh, it was James Craig who was the uh, area coach for USC. Okay. And USC offers Pame, and they offer Henderson. So I make a couple phone calls. and. You know, Henderson was just like, oh, really? You know, I mean, it, it, it was it was a three-star defensive back. Kind of interesting. Pane was like, okay, finally, you know, you, you offered him. Now, he had some great issues, um, but he was a guy that was like, yeah. And I remember talking to a source. Let's say a source. I don't know I'll say who it was. And um, this guy being kind of pissed off at USC for offering Ryan Henderson. Because he was committed, I believe, at, to Utah at the point, at that point. And he goes, you know, Utah's a great fit for him. 
that's that's where he should go. He goes, he, but he's going to go to USC because it's USC and it's local and he loves USC. But he's never going to play there. And he goes, let me tell you something. Junior Palme can play at USC. Junior Palme is a guy. He goes, but while Ryan Henderson is in the library knitting a sweater, Junior Palme is out in the quad fighting 12 guys. <laughs> so that was sort of the comparison as to why USC should recruit one and not the other. But they recruited them both and they got them both to commit. And, um, you know, Ryan just wasn't that guy. He had great testing numbers and uh, was, uh, I think, you know, looked at from that standpoint, evaluation standpoint, you know, he, he benched a whole lot for how big he was. He had a really good 40 time. But to the uh, source that had said, you know, these things, Ryan Henderson never really did anything at Rancho Verde. He wasn't really a big player for them. For as fast as he was and, and the combine numbers that he had, he did not contribute as much as you think he would. He didn't play on offense. There was, there was, there were definitely question marks there and there was question marks with that evaluation from USC. And some people said, well, you know that they wanted to get Palme. So they, they felt like they had to offer Ryan Henderson. And that's not true. I, I asked people that they genuinely were intrigued by Ryan Henderson and his numbers and just didn't look at the football aspect of it and look just simply at the athleticism aspect of it. Um, and it's a shame that Palme wasn't able to still play at USC and he had legal troubles because he was a really good player. I mean, he was a good football player and uh, a guy that had NFL potential. While you were doing that, I just went through every class I've, I've covered and Caleb is probably the most twist and turny one. Maybe the second one is like Drake Jackson, but that wasn't even like super twist and turny. So I don't yeah. have a great one. It's going to be Gerard who, who carries that. And he has already carried that, the, the, this question, this answer, sorry, this answer. And the second part of this is my second question is I've been guilty of posting rumors on the P. Oh, wait. Well, you're banned. Sorry. Okay. You won't, you won't even get to read this. Uh, almost the second I get them, some have been true and others, like a kid claiming he was told by a team staff they, that we were hiring Matt Campbell turned out to be a complete hogwash as bastions. That's the second time we've had bastions in this group of bastions as a bastions of high journalistic standards. What's the process you go through vetting the rumors you undoubtedly hear every day when you see rumors circulating on the P? Otherwise, how do you decide whether or not to address it knowing sometimes your silence is seen as confirmation? Thanks as always. Reggie Bush graduates. Magic eight ball. Good one, Hurricane. <laughs> um, well, you and I both went to journalism school. Or both. Yeah, you went to journalism school, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I actually so have a degree, believe it or not, broadcast journalism. I believe it. So, obviously, there's sort of a standard as it was mentioned in the question that we must live up to you can't you can't just run with some the first thing you hear because that's not obviously you don't know if that's true or not so it's what what you have to do is a little thing called reporting you know you have to talk to people you have to hit up people that might be in the know i personally like to get at least two sources that I feel really good on before I try to post anything. So I could hear a rumor that, I don't know, this is some, it, this uh, kid is going to decommit or something. 
At that point, let's say that's the, the rumor. At that point, I see it. Maybe it's on the border already. Maybe it's something someone's texted to me, a source. So that's a good start if it's a source hitting me up about it because then I could go to Gerard and say, hey, this is what I'm hearing. What are you hearing? And then sort of we work back that way. and We sort of put it in a group chat like, hey, let's – is any, what, what is anyone hearing on this? What, what have we, is there anything, is anyone else hearing the same thing I am? And then from there, you kind of work your, your phone to see, you know, who could possibly know or where you can you f- find more confirmation about something like this. You know, if you know a connection, if you have a connection to the player, you can go through that route, maybe hit up their, their, their parent or their coach or them directly. So that's sort of how I personally like to work on tips or rumors or stuff like that. And I know Gerard has sort of a similar uh, method as well. You mean in addition to the Magic 8-Ball? Um, yes, in addition, in addition to the Magic 8-Ball, that, yeah, that I mean, being it, the final source. It's, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron. You know, sources sources sharpen sources. That is not a good uh, thing to say fast. Sources sharpen sources. Uh, that's what you want to do. You want to have multiple sources on something. Um, it's just ethical. You know, when you go through school, uh, you're taught, you know, you don't, if you don't have two sources, you don't have a source. If you don't have somebody to confirm something or give you greater insight to something. And, and, you know, here's the thing. Now, when I was in school, which was many years ago, like 70 years ago, I think at this point, um, the internet was around and we, understood it as being a broadcast medium so when it came to writing stylistically i was always taught to write in ap style because the way you write for print is different than the way you write for tv for tv you don't have people's attention quite as much and people are talking most of the time you're not reading it when you're reading something you tend to be more focused on that thing and you're locked in on that thing at least that was the philosophy before the internet. So I was literally going through college in these classes as you started to see blogs and things start to really blow up. And it was this weird sort of limbo state as to, okay, we are in a broadcast medium mainly because although you are reading what we're writing in stories and on the, uh, the peristyle and other you know, uh, things that you are looking at and you're getting information by reading it, it's on the internet and the internet itself has a lot of distractions. So it's not like a newspaper where you pick up the newspaper, you pick up a book, you pick up a magazine, and that is what you're looking at, right? That, that is, you know, the other distractions or whatever's going on, it, it's, it's about what you're looking at. So I think one of the things that comes into question is, you know, are ethics still the same? Are they still looked at the same because of the speed of the internet? So while I was going through school, and my point being that it was sort of this nebulous period of, okay, we're trying to figure out this, this, this the, the internet and kind of like how people are um, not only disseminating the information, but how they're receiving it. You know, what there hadn't been, I think, a lot of research and study as to how much information are people actually absorbing uh, when they're reading this on the internet. Uh, but you know, we're going to write it like we're writing it for TV because we figure they're going to be on their porn sites and their gambling sites and everything else at the same time. So we got to make it, try to make it concise, uh, concise and clear. That's the main point. 
of AP style is to be concise and clear. Whereas you can be a little more flowery with print and you, cause you, you think you assume that person is a little more focused on what they're reading. Um, but with sources, it also comes into question because things move so fast. You've got Twitter. Now Twitter was not big when I was in college. It wasn't, I, I don't even know if Twitter was around when I was in college. I don't think so. So that's changed the game a little bit because you have all these people some of them are wannabes that are just po- po- putting stuff out there. Boom, boom, boom. This is going on. This is happening. So it's chasing real journalists that have been in it for a while and maybe even generationally behind. There's guys that are writing that were, were in school when there was no internet, um, trying to figure out whether this is true or not. And you're trying to get multiple sources on something while Jackass is just putting up whatever he hears immediately. And it's, it's, you know, again, is it ethical? Has that changed now that you just put up whatever you hear because it's the internet and, and there's stuff going to get out there because we, I mean, we've sat on plenty of things and gotten burned where we had a scoop on something and we just didn't put it out there because we wanted more sources and we wanted more people to say, this is a real thing and give us some context as to what's going on. Now we've also looked very good and, and been, and been better off by doing that as well. You know, there's been, Reports that have come out uh, that have been significant reports about things happening in USC football that have been completely false. And we didn't hear those things and we had to go through multiple sources and it came down to we're just not hearing that from good sources, from reliable sources, from people that we know and that have been reliable in the past. So we cannot confirm now. We cannot run with that. And, you know, we've obviously been better because of that. Um, but then you have instances like Josh Connerly, which you know, we had sources on one side of things that were very confident and then sources on the other side of things uh, that were closer to Huff and those people that are up there in the Northwest that are close to Josh Connerly that were also hearing things that, you know, confirmed that sound like he's going to USC and that didn't happen. So, you know, I mean, the nature of the Internet and its evolution, I think, has definitely changed the game a bit. Again, I haven't been in school. I haven't talked to any of my old professors to say, hey, how are you teaching sourcing these days? You know, how are you teaching people that are writing for websites? Because when I was going through school, I think the writing online was still for like getting a job for the Times or getting a job for a reputable magazine. It it wasn't about, you know, social media, certainly. And it wasn't about um, having your own website and specifically a website that is tailored towards a certain demographic that is that is very niche and uscfootball.com is niche we're not the la times and this comes into play even when you're, you're talking about what you're reporting we're reporting things for usc football fans the la times is reporting something that could go to ucla fans or usc fans and so you know it's like hey if we say something negative or bad about usc well the ucla fans will love it and they'll buy papers if we say something negative about ucla and then the USC fans will love it and they'll buy paper. So they're kind of coming and going and got you both ways. Whereas we are specific to USC and what I found over the years, and this is a greater, you know, sort of answer to, to the, the sort of spectrum of, of writing online uh, for USC football is that when we report bad news, it's negative feedback that we get from it, whether it's true or not, people don't want to hear it. And that's unfortunate because it does affect your, uh, ability to be objective about things and to be honest about things because you know 
that these are just USC fans and they really just want to hear good news about the football program. And obviously over the past few years, hasn't been a whole lot of good news to report. Uh, but nevertheless, if you're coming from a journalism background, you're taught to be objective about those things. And there's not like, hey, I'm just going to sugarcoat everything and make up things because, you know, I know that's what USC fans want to hear. And that's they want escapism. And they, that's why they come here. And I think some people do come to the website for escapism. They want to get away from whatever is going on in life. And, and they want to know USC football is going to be great. And even if it isn't, tell me it's great sort of thing. So this all kind of, you know, connects together in terms of sources and, and your, and, you know, what you're trying, um, to, to put together for a, a headline and a story and, and whether, you know, you feel confident about it or not. And with that, Gerard, you're going to cap you off on that rant. Thank you again for joining us on the composite two star recruits. I'm Chris. That's Gerard, aka Hurricane, and we will talk to you next week on the Composite Two Star Recruits. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.